We're taking off to the East Coast. Cutting in, shoots, scores! They've slain the dragon! Daniel. Henrik. Back for Daniel. Let's it go, he scores! Ten seconds left on the power play. Here's Hughes, top of the point, shoots and scores! Come on without, come on within. You've not seen nothing like the mighty Quinn. Back to Pedersen. Can't find a lane, wants to shoot, goes back to Miller, side of the goal, then to the line for Hughes. Hughes, back to Pedersen, wanted a one-timer, pass was in his skates, he settles it down, throws it to the goal, stopped by Bimo, Bimo, they score! It's Brock Besser at the side of the net! Pedersen's released from the box, Vancouver's back to even strength, but the Blue Jackets still have it in the zone, Boone Jenner with a pass through the middle, goes all the way down the ice, here's Pedersen after it, he's got a chance at a breakaway, Pedersen in clean, is tripped by Murray, but he scores! You're listening to Sportsnet Tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott-Wolf. Now here are your hosts, Raja and Josh. Seven oh three, we are back. It is Sportsnet Tonight. Raja Shergill with you, Josh Elliott-Wolf, alongside me. What's going on, Vancouver? Hope you guys are enjoying your Friday. The Vancouver Canucks are back in action, just like Josh and I are back on the airwaves here on the official home of the Vancouver Canucks Sportsnet 650. The team 2-1-0 in their return since their COVID-19 hiatus, defeating the Toronto Maple Leafs. Who saw that coming? And then lost to the Ottawa Senators. Let's not talk about that too much. Uh... Get in your thoughts, 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line, 604-280-0650. Get a phone line as well. We'll hear your thoughts throughout the day. The big question that we're asking today, it's going to be on uh, our uh, it's going to be our poll question on Twitter as well, at Sportsnet650. Who is the most underrated player on the Canucks this season? Share us your thoughts. On the Dunbar Lumber text line, the smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber in Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Also, grab a phone line, 604-280-0650. You can tweet me at share underscore Raja. That's at S-H-E-R underscore R-A-J-A. Uh, and uh, Josh as well at Elliot Wolf. Jay, what's up, Josh? Not much. I feel like it's been a while. Like, yeah, I don't know how long it's been. I, has it been two weeks or three? It's been a it minute. Feel, if, you know what? If, if it is two, it feels like three for sure. <laughs> yeah. Even more maybe because, you know, the Vancouver Giants are back. So at this time, usually you guys get to hear the great voice of Dan O'Connor calling some fantastic junior hockey as the Giants try and, you know, as the Giants try and uh, sort of navigate through the, the bubble that they're playing in as well and, and see how their season goes. And, and obviously it's such a tough year it is for junior hockey players that are going to be you know, going into the NHL draft. It's just an entirely different year uh, from an NHL's scouting perspective and also for the players itself. Uh, so Dan O'Connor and, and uh, the Vancouver Giants are usually taking over our airwaves. If it's not them, then it's the Vancouver Canucks, who I'm sure uh, the listener would much rather hear than us. But, Josh, you and I are back to discuss said Vancouver Canucks. Yes, we are. And, look, it's been a, it's been a pretty exciting week, even if you had... 
low expectations for the team. It's been it's been nice to watch them, and as, as, especially Raja taking a drink in the background. I thought I had my mic on. Yeah, you did not. <laughs> uh, but especially Sunday, and I, I know it's kind of been talked about all week, but that Sunday game against the Maple Leafs, that's why you watch hockey. It's to watch Toronto lose and, <laughs> and for good storylines as well. Who would have thought that they were going to win that game? Nobody. Right? Like, and, and Elliot Friedman, I think, mentioned it, that they were the, the, the least favored team from a betting point of view since 2006, I believe, when the Pittsburgh Penguins, right? It's, it's incredible. That they- and kind of rightfully so, honestly. Like, even if, even if you have the highest hopes going into that game, you're still probably like, well, maybe they only lose 3-2, to two, you know? Dude, and, you know, you're talking about, like, they were taking on the premier team in the division, Right, and they could have been playing almost anybody in the division, and you would have said that the Canucks are very likely going to lose that game. And honestly, if you had predicted that they were going to be taking on Ottawa, you might say, yeah, they they still might get shut out. Like, I, I don't think that's a stretch. They could have been playing the Ottawa Senators, and you could have said this is a team that's going to get shut out against the Sens. And look, they did get shut out by the Sens three games later, or two games later. But they did that after two brilliant games against the Toronto Maple Leafs. So not only do they, you know, embarrass the Leafs by defeating them, um, and not only are the Leafs embarrassing to themselves and their fan base because, you know, they were comparing it to the David Ayers game and they were comparing it to Game 7 against Boston a few years ago when they gave up that big lead, you know. So it's it's been a tough go for Toronto, uh, but for Vancouver... Because you not only beat the Toronto Maple Leafs, you do it after coming back from this big hiatus. It's a good, feel-good story all the way around. Definitely. And it's – it's when when the Canucks were on their hiatus and they, they were talking about coming back, there was also a lot of talk about the season just being canceled. And I think those were – those talks were justified. I'm not trying to discredit them at all, but this right. is the reason that – I think the players wanted to come back is because they knew that they had something to prove and then they they knew that they could still show what team they wanted to be. And look, the Canucks probably won't make the playoffs. It's it's still up in the air, obviously. They have a lot of games in hand, but it is an uphill climb. But that being said, they want to show that they can at least make it close and at least play some competitive hockey down the stretch. And that's what we saw Monday, Tuesday, and even last night, they they lost three nothing. But I would still say they played a pretty good game, and they just ran into a uh, a Matt Murray that was playing the opposite of what we usually see when the Vancouver Canucks play Matt Murray and the Sens, who, to their credit, are always a very very hardworking team. They're a sneaky good team that's last in the division, are they not? Like because exactly of, because of the speed that they have in their lineup, because of the youth that they have, they can outskate a lot of teams, and. You know, obviously, if you are a Senators fan, there's a lot to look up to. Uh, on the show today, Harn Ryan Singh going to join us in about 20 minutes' time, 7.30, Hockey Night in Canada, Punjabi, and Sportsnet's play-by-play commentator. Uh, we'll go around the Canadian division with Harn Ryan. 8 p.m., the five most pressing questions in the National Hockey League and regarding your Vancouver Canucks. We will answer them using the five W's. 8.30, Bick Nazar from Bick and the Boss will join us, dive into some NFL talk with him as well. 9 p.m., Prospects talk and dare I say it, Nikita Triamkin talk. It. Stop Nikita it. Nikita no. Triamkin. No, no, 
I I am not here for the Nikita Trampkin talk. I don't know how that how loud that was. By the way, I'm sorry. I tried to lean back. Uh, <laughs> we'll 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 see how much Nikita Trampkin talk we get in. Uh, but stay tuned. Nine o'clock hour. We'll talk some prospects. I don't know if he's still considered a prospect or not. But is there a scenario in which Nikita Trampkin comes back to the Vancouver Canucks next season? We'll talk to Chris Faber about that. Uh, Roger Sturgill, Josh Elliott, Wolf at his sports net tonight. Uh, as mentioned, Josh. The most underrated player argument this season is is something that we're going to be talking about over the course of this show. Poll question is up now on Twitter at Sportsnet650. It's a, it's a weird question because as we were prepping the options for for the, uh, the poll today, we were talking about who is going to make this list and who's going to rem- remain off the list. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of players, Right. Because either the players are undeserving of being underrated because they haven't played well, or they're too good and they are, you know, they just aren't underrated. Exactly. I think a lot of people might, like, I suspect that a lot of people are going to say Tyler Tyler Mott. That's the, yeah, that's the classic, like, oh, I think, like, yeah, Tyler Mott is underrated around the league, but if you're a Canucks fan, is he underrated? No, and that's the thing. That's why Tyler Mott is not part of the three choices that we have given Canucks fans today. The three choices that we have given the Canucks fans on Twitter, cast your vote, Nate Schmidt, Tyler Myers, Brandon Sutter. And the fourth option, other, you can fill in your vote if you want to. I do suspect we're going to get a lot of people saying Tyler Mott. But, again, as mentioned, I think we were having a conversation about Tyler Mott, you know, just a couple of months ago or a month ago, prior to the hiatus, about this guy potentially being part of the Canucks' core, right. quote-unquote. Yeah. And if you're going to trade him, can you get a, a big and hefty return from him? And look, if other teams are looking to spend money and spend assets on acquiring a guy like Tyler Mott from your team, and let's face it, this Vancouver Canucks team doesn't have a whole lot of players that are attractive to other markets around the NHL, but Tyler Mott is one of them, that means he's not underrated. Exactly. And, and look, it, it, I understand the reasoning people point to Tyler Mott. And I think we, we've got a text in from uh, AV already saying, saying Tyler Mott. And I don't fault you for that. I like Vino texting in. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. The uh, the Flyers head coach just listening to some Vancouver sports radio. He might be, man. You never know where. Yeah, he's got to get that scouting report in case they meet in the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, I, and look, I understand where people are coming from with that because I think last year and the year before, the easy answer is Tyler Mott. When it comes to unsung hero, uh, I know the people show earlier were giving out Oscars for the Vancouver Canucks. I would say Tyler Mott works for that. But as far as underrated, I think we rate him pretty fairly in Canucks Nation. We know what he brings to the bottom six. And to your point, we were talking about him being a... Uh, a core player or as much as a bottom six player could be in the core just like two months ago. So I would say he's pretty fairly rated. Uh, I don't know. who Who's who's your pick? Well, yeah, so let's get into this. The most underrated player this season, it's on Twitter now, at Sports 650, Castro Ballot, Nate Schmidt, Tyler Myers, Brandon Sutter, or other. Currently, very early on, Nate Schmidt has the lead for that, 46.7%. Tyler Myers is second, 31.1%. Brandon Sutter, 10 And other getting the nod over Brandon Sutter for third place. So far, They're people at, hate Brandon Sutter. He's at 12. 
up 0.2%. Uh, Justin Morissette, friend of, uh, friend of the show, work here here at Sports 650, uh, saying Ole Uolevi. Which I, I will say, I think that's a pretty... That's a really good like pick. Yeah, I I hadn't even thought about him. I think if he had played more this season, Th- that's and, yeah, and that's not a fault of his own. That's just the nature of how the season has gone, and and probably a bit on Travis Green. But Yulevi has definitely been an underrated player. Even last night, like he was playing on the penalty kill, doing a pretty good job. I liked Yulevi's game last night for sure. Yeah, I've li- I've liked his game all season, and look, he's never going to live up to that fifth overall uh, hype. But he's still a pretty interesting prospect because look he's still super young and if he could end up being a a number four defenseman on a good team you're probably in a pretty good spot with him I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and and say my answer now and I I don't care how many of the the listeners or or whoever is going to come at me for saying this is a stupid answer um and listen I'm gonna say it's a stupid answer 32% 32% of the, the people on Twitter agree with me, so that's good at least. I got 32% of the fan base on my side, apparently. But the answer for me has to be Tyler Myers. Nate Schmidt, we put him in this conversation. I think Nate Schmidt has probably been the best defenseman of the Canucks this year. So in my eyes, Josh, I don't know if I would put him in that underrated category. Nate Schmidt was taking a lot of heat for you know making a lot of stupid plays, quite frankly, early on it is Canucks tenure. But at that time, a lot of people were making dumb plays. A lot of people were turning the puck over. The Canucks were just getting stomped on. And Nate Schmidt was part of that category. But he was a very, you know, ob- like he was very good at turning his game around and, and really becoming, I think, the best player that he has, uh, the best defenseman on the Canucks this season. But for me, a player that just does not get the respect that he deserves is Tyler Myers. And a lot of that has to do with the money that he makes. And I know a lot of people aren't happy with the draft, sorry, aren't happy with the 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 money being spent on a player like Tyler Myers. They aren't happy with that contract. But sometimes you got to look past that and realize what a player like Tyler Myers means to the Vancouver Canucks. Sure, again, you don't like the contract, and I'm not saying I'm in love with it either, but the point is that this is a player that the game against Toronto was playing over 30 minutes and just leaning heavily. A bit out of, obviously out of necessity too, because Edler got that. um, But he's better than Edler though. Right? Right, yeah. So, like, my point is that he would still be... It's not like Edler was out and you're like, damn, we got to rely on Myers. It's I don't like know if... you were relying on Myers regardless of if Edler was in that lineup. I don't know if I would Maybe say... not as heavily, but... I, I get what you're saying when you say Myers is better than Edler. I don't know if he's... Okay, so here's the thing. I, I'm just saying, I'm not, like... I, I'm going to, like... I, I understand why... People are hesitant to say that Myers isn't as good as Edler or whoever else you want to put into that argument. But the thing is, I just don't think people are willing to give him the light of day. You look at his analytics and you're like, this guy is terrible. He's not an analytics guy. They've never been on his side. But Tyler Myers has done a fantastic job, I think, in his couple of seasons with the Canucks. And this year in particular, I think he's been even better than he was last year. And a lot of the flack that he gets is unwarranted. Yeah, uh, before I get mine... And uh, we get a couple texts in, uh, one from Pricer here. I think Mikey DiPietro should get an honorable mention for sitting on the taxi squad all year. Guy's been a pro. Yeah, man, like, honor- yeah, most underrated 
just guy that's been here, I guess. That that goes to Mikey DiPietro. Congratulations. For sure. Uh, but, okay, so here's my thing with Myers, and especially in comparison to Edler. So Myers, to me, if he is playing at his best, I do think that he might be a better player than Alex Edler. The issue for me with Tyler Myers is the consistency isn't really there in his game for me. And I know you're not a big analytics guy. I am definitely more of an analytics guy. And you're right. He's not he's not a numbers darling. His shot nu- or his shot suppression numbers and his goals against numbers aren't great. Sorry, you're No, but I, I don't think that he's like you're saying that he's not consistent. I think he is probably the most consistent defenseman on the Canucks. I disagree with that big time because the consistency isn't about he's playing at a high level all the time. The consistency is the fact that you know what you're going to get from him. And Travis Green knows what he's going to get from him, right? You look at a guy like Quinn Hughes, who everybody loves, and rightfully so. But Quinn Hughes, sometimes when it comes to his defensive side of the puck, you're unsure as to whether he's going to be able to, you know, really keep track of the player that he's watching in his defensive zone, or sometimes he does a great job of it. You look at a guy like Alex Edler, that skating has been a very big issue for him for the last number of seasons. His ability to break the puck out has been a very big issue for him for the last couple of seasons. The consistency for those guys, I see, is is an issue because you'll have great games and you'll have games that are subpar. With Myers, you're right. When the puck is in your own zone, it's going to be you know, a little tougher for the Canucks to to really get that puck out when it's not on his stick, right? Because he's really stranded in front of the net. And for a lot of the players, uh, the Canucks, for sorry, for a lot of the time, the Canucks are really just getting hounded when they're in their own zone. But when the puck is on his stick, I don't think anybody outside of Quinn Hughes does a better job of moving that puck out than Tyler Myers. Personally, I would say... And look, I know we're not going to agree on this, but I think Edler has been a better puck mover this season than Tyler Myers. Um, I, It's tough because I do think Tyler Myers gets hated on an unnecessary amount in the city. And I, I understand why he comes with contract. He, he is on the ice a lot. And because of that, his he, he just has more chances at making faults as yes. well. And and you're going to see a lot more of his mistakes. But that being said, it's I I don't know if I agree on the consistency part. I would say probably Nate Schmidt, who I will talk about a bit later because for for me he's my most underrated player, but Nate Schmidt to me has been a little more consistent. I know sure. he, he makes the yeah. obvious mistakes especially earlier in the year, but I think he's just been kind of a steadying force, especially playing with Edler. Uh, but we get a text in as well. Uh, I've got it here, I think. Steve? Yeah, there you go. L- l- yeah, let me read this one from Steve. I've been, yeah. So, you know why Myers doesn't get respect? He's not good. One game against Toronto. Oh, wow, he's better than 35-year-old Alex Hedler. Wow. If you think Myers is good, you don't know hockey, Raja. I test tell you he's as bad. I test tells you he's bad as well. The consistency of taking penalties to being trapped in his own end or being walked. Can't Listen, Steve. Can't say the next part. <laughs> Listen, Steve. The eye test, I think, and maybe I'm wrong here, but I do feel like a lot of people, not only when it comes to Tyler Myers, but when it comes to players like Brandon Sutter, when it comes to some guys like Jay Beagle, 
I think when you're when when you're watching these guys, I feel like sometimes fans and even media and us as well, Josh, what we do is we kind of watch with with kind of a bias. You kind of watch with some blinders on, I feel like. Because of the way that they're getting paid doesn't equal to how they're playing on the ice. But if you could separate the two for a second. Tyler Myers, when it comes to him getting shots against him and getting hounded in his own zone that we talked about and him being trapped, how much of that, when you're looking at the eye test, is specifically because him not being able to move the puck out or him being walked in his own end or whatever it might be. A lot of the time, it's the Canucks as a whole. Not not excluding Tyler Myers from this, but I'm just saying it's not only his fault as to why the Canucks aren't able to move the puck out of the zone. He's playing heavy minutes. He's playing against the team's top players for a lot of the time. It's not his fault that he is the guy being put in a situation in which he might be over his head in. Right. Right? The Canucks as a whole for a lot of the times aren't good at moving the puck out quick enough and that comes a lot from the forwards especially when you're looking at the half wall there are a lot of turnovers right to the middle of the ice in which the other team is has has great a opportunities and guess what that puts Tyler Myers in the position of chasing and that's when he looks absolutely brutal and he's terrible I'll admit it he's terrible at defending something like that but when it comes to defending the rush when it comes into your own end and it comes to picking up the puck and getting it out quickly and that breakout pass, and especially in the offensive zone, I think Tyler Myers is as good as pretty much anybody on this team, not named Quinn Hughes. And sure, Nate Schmidt, of course. I think Nate Schmidt is a better defenseman. And I think you know Nate Schmidt does everything that you're probably going to outline. You're, you're correct about that. I just think that when it comes to an underrated point of view, people aren't going to give him the respect. And that's exactly what Steve is talking about here. For sure. And and I get what you're saying with that. It's also, he's polarizing. So to an extent, like people will say Tyler Myers is the worst defenseman on the team. Obviously that's not true. So to an extent, he probably is underrated. And I, I agree he's a bit underrated because he's an easy target. But my most underrated player, and right now it's the majority with 41.5% in the poll, is Nate Schmidt. And the reason I say that is because, look, at the beginning of the season, he was crapped on a lot, especially because he was making very big defensive missteps. And I think when you're a defenseman going to a new team like Nate Schmidt did this season, it's a little bit harder to integrate yourself than it would be if you're a forward, just because you're you're playing more minutes and the defensive structure of different teams is a little harder to grasp than it would be the offensive schemes and and whatever they're running on offense. So at the beginning of the season, it was a bit of a hard transition for him. Now that he's kind of figured that out and figured out how the Canucks are going to play, I think he's really excelled in a way that is kind of what we expected when the Vancouver Canucks traded for Schmidt and if you look at his defensive numbers, they're not outstanding, but they're they're in the positives at least. And his puck moving ability has been good as well. The point production, I don't know if it's where you want it to be yet, but you can see it at least trending in the right direction. And I don't know if it'll ever really get there because right now he's the third option behind Quinn Hughes and Tyler Myers. Maybe eventually Schmidt and Myers kind of flip positions there, but Hughes is always going to be the number one guy for the Canucks on the back end. I don't disagree with anything that you're saying there. The only thing, Josh, 
that I do disagree with a little bit is that Nate Schmidt is even underrated. I, I, I don't know if I'm... If we can, like, for sure say that Nate Schmidt is a underrated player, my vote might go to him. But the reason why I'm giving it to Myers is because I don't think that Nate Schmidt is all that underrated of a player. I think, well, okay. So I think the consensus, at least from what I've seen, and hey, people, everybody rates players differently. But I would say the consensus from what I've seen is Schmidt, to most people, has been an okay second-pairing defenseman. And for me, he's either been a great second-pairing defenseman or a guy that could probably play on your first pair if you didn't have Quinn Hughes. And especially on the Canucks, like, look, he's been the best defenseman all season, and I don't know if people are giving him credit for that yet. Right. So I would say he's not – it's it's different conversations, I guess. When you look at Tyler Myers, people will say he is he's not worthy of even playing in the NHL, which is just false. Completely false. And, and so – there, there's just a bigger gap for Myers. Where right. Schmidt, it's like, okay, he's, you're he's right. Maybe not a great defenseman, but to me, he is. I think he's a great defenseman. Like, yeah, exactly. You're right. The difference between like Nate, Tyler, sorry, Nate Schmidt. The difference between Schmidt and Myers is that Schmidt might have been, or is, in my opinion, the best defenseman this season, and people aren't giving him that hype. I think a lot of people might still default to Quinn Hughes, especially this season. And although Quinn Hughes is very likely the best defenseman for the next decade for the Canucks, I think this year it was still Nate Schmidt. The thing with Myers is, and you touched on it, is that, yeah, a lot of people are saying that he's not worthy of playing in the National Hockey League, which is completely false because my whole reasoning for this is because people like Steve and a lot of people on Canucks Twitter don't like Myers simply because of that contract. And where would the Canucks be, Steve? And for anybody who was saying that Myers isn't good this year, where would the Canucks be without Tyler Myers? And you can probably ask the question, like, where are the Canucks now with them? But that's not his fault. That's the fault of the management group not being able to acquire defensemen. And that's not a shot at Jim Benning because it's incredibly hard to acquire defensemen. I get it. It takes a long time. But my point is they're not surrounded enough by good enough six or seven defensemen in which a player like Tyler Myers can have his role cut down a little bit to which he's depended on less than he is right now. Harnrein Singh is going to join us at the bottom of the hour. Coming up after the break, we will talk to him about what's going on across the National Hockey League. Can the Vancouver Canucks still make the playoffs? We'll talk to him about that and also what's happening across the entire Canadian division. Harnrein Singh up next. It's Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott Wolf, Sportsnet 650. Wrapping up the week in sports. This is Sportsnet Tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott Wolf. It is Sportsnet Tonight. Raja Shergill with you, Josh Elliott Wolf alongside me. Welcome in. Hope you guys are enjoying your Friday, 7:34. Getting set to have a conversation with Harn Ryan Singh of Hockey Night in Canada, Punjabi, and Sportsnet play-by-play commentator will be once again on the broadcast tomorrow night as the Calgary Flames take on the Montreal Canadiens. That game also happening right now. A goal that the Calgary Flames have scored to take the lead is currently under review 
and it has actually gotten waved off. So we are tied at two in the middle frame between the Habs and the Flames. Vancouver Canucks, can they claw themselves back into a playoff race? Well, they're going to be playoff they're going to be scoreboard watching. They needed a big win for Edmonton in which they did not get. It was a victory for the Montreal Canadiens, the team that the Canucks are chasing. But this game doesn't really help Vancouver in any sense of the imagination as the Flames are also ahead of them as well. Vancouver does have games in hand because of that hiatus though. So it'll be interesting to see how the rest of this plays off as Vancouver come away with two amazing gutsy wins over the Toronto Maple Leafs and then they fold to Ottawa but the next three games against the Sens are going to be very interesting to figure out if Vancouver or where Vancouver stands in that playoff push. Joining us now Harnrein Singh from Hockey Night in Canada and Sportsnet play-by-play. Harnrein, what's up my friend? How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself, Roger? Doing pretty good. Thanks so much for giving us some time today. Uh, Man, like the Canucks, they have a a gutsy performance, as I just mentioned, over the Toronto Maple Leafs from their COVID hiatus. How unexpected was that for them to just come out of the gates flying like they did? Yeah, you know, it was interesting to watch. And and I remember uh, when the Vancouver Canucks uh, game was you know they were they were delayed against Edmonton and then and then uh, Connor McDavid went was asked kind of closer to Vancouver coming up and and when those when those uh, games were postponed when they were actually supposed to play one another and then it ended up being postponed again for a few for a few more days after JT Miller's comments Connor McDavid said something that really stood out to me and he said you know what this situation with with the Canucks no matter how you know it's obviously been very tough it's been very negative but he but he said that you know the team could really use this as a way to rally together and and I think you know I was like wow that's it that's an interesting uh you know perspective on it because we we've all been kind of just focusing on the health side and everything and but when when you really look at it that's exactly what happened and and it was great to see the response that the Canucks had post-COVID. I mean, not only was it just a sigh of relief uh, to see them back on the ice, obviously for Canucks fans, it's been so long since they you know, have seen their team on the ice, but just even health-wise to see the players on there. And then storylines-wise, I mean, obviously Demko wasn't able to go right away and, and Holtby steps in and he looked great. He made some, uh, you know, some stellar stops there against the Leafs. And then, of course, he had Pearson scoring right after signing the contract. So uh, it was just, it was great to see them kind of rally together. I, I also liked what Bo Horvat did and he showed a lot of leadership right before uh, their first game by coming out and talking to the media and saying, look, we're ready to go. It doesn't matter what anybody's saying, but but we're ready and we want to do this. And and I think that really was a necessary message too, because there was all sorts of stuff coming out there. You guys know more than anybody in that market about, mm-hmm. you know, do the, do the players want to play? Do they not want to? What's going on uh, inside that dressing room between the players, between ownership with the NHL? And so it was just, it was just lovely to see, uh, how well and how hard they played in those games 
especially against the Leafs and obviously the special teams, uh, the Senators were able to pull off their victory, but still a very positive, uh, you know, response by the Canucks. Yeah, very positive in a season that hasn't had a whole lot of positives for the Vancouver Canucks, but you know, is the the couple of wins uh, against Toronto, and I guess you could really you know answer this question by discussing how the the Ottawa Senators series goes from here on out. But where do the Canucks really land when it comes to their playoff hopes? I mean, is there still a chance for for, for you in your eyes for the Canucks to get back into the postseason? Well, you mentioned the games in hand, right? On uh, Calgary's playing right now as we speak, so it's going to be four games in hand on Calgary after this one's over, uh, and then a, a, you know a number of games in hand basically on everybody. But the but the thing is, is that Montreal hasn't been playing as well, uh, and and you know at the beginning of April the Habs were six points up on the Canucks and had four games in hand, but they didn't really take advantage of the time and space that they had and. And so they do have a solid lead, but with the Canucks holding those games in hand, that's what's really, you know, keeping the hopes alive. And the the one thing that could kind of derail the hopes is the brutal schedule to close out the end of the season, which is just, you know, that's what we're going to just have to accept as this COVID season, which is kind of throwing curveballs at everybody. Uh, but that, that could really be what derails the hopes. And so I think that, you know, the, the wins against Toronto, they really, as as Jimmy VC came out and said, it just reinforced the belief that they have in the, the locker room. And, and I think it's going to make for a fun ending to the season that they still have a chance. Um, but, but it is going to be a tough situation with how brutal and how close those games are going to be played within such a short amount of time towards the end of the season. You mentioned the Montreal Canadiens, and obviously that's the team that the Vancouver Canucks are chasing if they want to get into that playoff spot. But as far as the Habs, earlier in the year, they started off really well, and they were kind of viewed as a threat with all their depth and could maybe take on the Maple Leafs for first uh, top spot in the North. Obviously, we know how that played out. If they do get into the playoffs and, and finish as that fourth seed, do you still see them as a threat as or have they kind of fallen off from where they were at the beginning of the year yeah and you know it's it's a it's an interesting situation with them and but i do actually see them as a threat in the playoffs and and the reason is well we saw some of it last year uh against pittsburgh too but look at their defense and and i just the makeup of their team is is actually kind of more built for the playoffs in terms of you, uh, if you were able to watch how Montreal played Edmonton this week in their two-game set against the Oilers, the the physicality and just uh, the way they played McDavid and Drysaddle was un. It was really the referees just put the whistles away and Shea Weber and and now they got Ben Chirot back in the lineup. The Edmonton, you know, brought in John Merrill, brought in Brett Kulak comes out of the lineup because of that, and and then Jeff Petrie. I just think they're they're defensive pairings we haven't even mentioned Romanov who's the the new kid on the block but uh, I just think they their defense their blue line is so big and strong and then you have players who also can play that type of style uh, in the playoffs that's needed to win and that's Josh Anderson uh, Tyler Toffoli I mean obviously (laughs) there's been so much talk about how what a season he's had but you know with Brendan Gallagher being out right now that is that's kind of the biggest concern for Montreal to kind of 
towards these this final stretch of the season that it's a huge loss. He might not be back until after the playoffs begin, but he is he's really the driver of this team. He's the spark plug. He he's the one who gets his teammates into the game. It's his attitude towards the game is contagious and I think this this week too we've seen you know, there's a bit of frustration in Montreal with the lack of goal scoring. Uh, I know they had four on Wednesday against uh, against the Oilers, uh, but that was kind of rare, a rarity for them. And Jonathan Duran was just asked about his just two goals on the season, and he didn't have a very positive response. Shea Weber wasn't wanting to analyze his personal performance. There's a bit of like frustration and negativity creep that's crept into the room. But I still like the makeup of the team in terms of the playoffs. Kot Kanyemi has looked really, uh, you know, a lot better uh, this later on this season too, and more of a complete player. So that that blue line is a bit scary, and I, and I we saw that from these games that they played against the Oilers this season, this week. Harn Ryan Singh, our guest from Hockey Night in Canada, Punjabi, and also Sportsnet's play-by-play commentator. Harn Ryan, how much credit does Mark Bergevin deserve for this Montreal Canadiens team that he's put together? Because it was, you know, it's, it's, it's a market that doesn't really get a whole lot of free agents, especially when the team uh, is is on the fringe of making the playoffs. But this offseason, he was able to acquire so many players, whether it be trade or free agency. And, and that's sort of the, the depth, of, depth of those Habs is what's put them in the position that they're in now. And you really you, you hit the nail on the head with that question. You have to wonder where the Habs would be. I was reading as well today into some of the, the – Montreal media and uh, Stu Cowan who does a great job in the Montreal Gazette and you know if they didn't bring in Jake Allen like where would they be this is the second time Carey Price has been injured this season obviously he missed a bunch of games earlier on and now he's got he's in concussion protocol and Jake Allen has been tremendous for them and then Tyler Toffoli we talk about it I mean He's uh, he's got the most amount of goals with anyone on a new team this season in, in terms of a new acquisition. And uh, it's just incredible. And then also Josh Anderson in terms of what he's been able to bring. And he's really proven things to be right for Mark Bergevin. You know, it's been just a it's been a tremendous situation for for Josh Anderson and for Montreal with that trade with so many question marks with Mark Bergevin and what his future was even going to be with this team not that long ago that that was the storyline and then here you have uh, some of the moves he's made where he's hit it out of the park the the top team in the north right now obviously the Toronto Maple Leafs when you look at them, obviously they they've cemented a playoff spot and probably top spot in the division barring a collapse, but the playoffs have obviously been where they've struggled the past few years and they can't make it past the first round. They've added at the trade deadline, Nick Foligno and a couple other pieces as well. Do you think they did enough and, and how, how do you feel about them heading into the playoffs this time around? You know, I, I think this is a fascinating situation um, in Toronto because just look at the sheer amount of leadership that Kyle Dubas has brought into that dressing room so you bring in Joe Thornton Jason Spezza's there his role is elevated uh, you already have John Tavares you also bring in Wayne Simmons and now Nick Foligno I mean that is just a ton of leadership and a ton of grit a ton of character 
that you need in the playoffs. Like if if they can't figure it out this season, where you know they're, for the first two rounds the Canadian teams are going to be playing one another, I don't know what else you you do. I just think that you know they've gone all in. Um, the one thing that you could say about them is the goaltending, but I I'm one of those who still thinks Freddie Anderson is a great goalie in this in it, in this league, and he's going to come back at some point. And and I think he's going to be successful. I, I, you know, I, I I think that he's there's a lot more scrutiny in that market, and so Freddie Anderson has had to face a lot of that. But in previous seasons, you know, I wouldn't have blamed him on on you know the Toronto Maple Leafs getting out uh, knocked out in the first round. And you know, this is the year they're not going to have to face Toronto or Tampa or Boston in the early rounds, and so they have to take advantage of it. But it is just like if you're if you're a video game. Uh, player and you're a GM of a team and and you know just what Kyle Dubas has done bringing in these guys it's it's quite fascinating to see how much he's changed the makeup of the team and you know I said I've named off Thornton Spezza, Tavares, Simmons and Felino, and I didn't even mention Matthews, Marner, or Riley the the younger leadership group on there so I just you know I think that I think they are actually quite strong and I think the grit character and the leadership they've brought in, they have that in spades and I think it'll help them in the playoffs. A few more minutes here with Harn Ryan Singh from Hockey Night in Canada. Um, you, you talked about it a little bit earlier on with the Montreal Canadiens and the Edmonton Oilers and how intense that those matchups were in this most recent set. It's starting to seem more and more like a playoff series and even throughout the, the Canadian division and just throughout the NHL in general. If you look at the games, the intensity has definitely ramped up. But with that comes more physicality and more, you know, a beating up, I guess, of star players and look no further than Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Do the Oilers, in your eyes, have the type of personnel needed to play that style of hockey when it comes to the playoffs? Well, this was a debate that came up with earlier on this season when Austin Matthews took a, a bad cross check. And, and you know, that's what we saw this this week too, Montreal, the cross check after cross check against uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl from the from the big blue line of the Montreal Canadiens. And so you look at the Oilers lineup and, you know, one thing that I'll say first off is that McDavid and Dreisaitl, they didn't back down. They, they handled it as best as they could. It maybe did throw them off their game a little bit. McDavid was still able to pull up, pull off some highlight reel stuff as he does. But, but, you know, they, they weren't just going to back down and whimper away. That's something we learned as well. Um, but in terms of the Oilers lineup, Jajar Kara, he's hurt again. He did practice today, but, you know, he had the, the fight against Brett Ritchie from the Flames where he was concussed and then he took the hit from Romanov this week and, and uh, did not look good on the ice. And then Zach Cassian was also hurt. And, and so those are your two, you know, more physical guys in the lineup. And, and if you're the Oilers, you don't. I I wouldn't think you want Darnell Nurse to always be having to step up and fight. Like he's one of your top defensemen. You know, there's potential of him being talked about for Team Canada with the type of season he's having and the more complete uh, game that he's bring bringing to the ice this season. And and so you know, Dmitry Kulikov comes into the lineup. He's a physical stay-at-home defenseman, but. Yeah, it it is. It really brings up this whole debate about protecting the stars. And if I've, I'm a part of the NHL's fan inclusion committee, and we're talking about growing the game and and how do you do that? And 
all of the research points to people out there, fans, especially the younger generations, they are all about the superstars. They want to know more about Pedersen, McDavid. Uh, you know, they want to know about their favorite players and the superstars out there, the Austin Matthews of the world. And if these guys are just getting totally obliterated on the ice and we're seeing more and more injuries to the superstars, I'm not sure that's healthy for the game. And And it's also that other debate of, how the game is called at the beginning of the season in compared in comparison to the playoffs it's it it's so different and and I'm not sure if that's also good for the game. I know the traditionalists put in the purists put it that way oh you know put the put their whistles away but if we're talking about the future of the game you got to be able to, you got you just have to protect the superstars and so that is a storyline that I think we're going to have to continue to watch and and we've seen some of that this season, especially with these teams playing one another so many times over and over again. Hey, Harn Ryan, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate your insight. Thanks so much for doing this, man, and have a good call tomorrow. I, I think he, I think he's gone. He dropped. He was like, "Hey, <laughs> he heard you saying bye." He, <laughs> yeah, he dropped at the right he, time. He, at he, least he wanted to say bye before uh, before we cut him off. Apparently, or he was just so upset that we were ending <laughs> exactly. Again. Everybody wants to join us. <laughs> Everybody wants to talk to us. Uh, he's texting me now. <laughs> uh, that was Hernrein saying Hockey Night in Canada uh, at Sportsnet's play-by-play broadcast will be calling the game tomorrow night between the Calgary Flames and the Montreal Canadiens. Roger Turgill, Josh Elliott Wolf with you. It is Sportsnet tonight. Sportsnet 650, the official home of the Canucks. The question that we're asking all of you, who is the most underrated player this season for the Vancouver Canucks? Nate Schmidt, Tyler Myers, Brandon Sutter, or other are the questions that we are, are the answers, sorry, that we are giving uh, you guys today. Nate Schmidt leading the poll so far, 43, uh, 42%. Tyler Myers right behind him, 28%. Other is in third place ahead of Brandon Sutter at 15%, uh, and Brandon Sutter sits at 13%. Um, Josh, you and I decided last week, I believe it was, to go golfing. Yeah, our last show we talked about it. Yeah. Yes, we talked about it probably like a few, a few weeks, weeks ago. ago. Yeah, we talked about it a few weeks ago. Uh, discussed if we can go out, uh, go golfing. You know, it's not good socially distant activity. Uh, nice weather we had here in Vancouver over the last couple of weeks. Or like, all right, let's hit the links. Uh, you haven't golfed in years. Years. I've yeah. golfed for the last few years, but I'm terrible at it. To be fair, I will say ahead of us playing, I had hit the range a few times, and I had played one full round, so right. I kind of had a bit of a warm-up. But, yeah. Yes. I uh, That was probably only my second round of the year, I think. Right. Uh, but, again, I've still been golfing longer than you in general. You beat me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, should I be embarrassed? I don't think so. No, I mean it. It like <laughs> I don't. It wasn't that close either. I don't. What? Know. It was close. Like, come on, what was it like? <laughs> maybe, five strokes? Maybe it was the the bad start. Like, okay, because here's the thing. I got <laughs> off to. I didn't get off to a great start, but you got off to a a terrible start. The opposite of great. Yeah, yeah. and so that kind of set you back a little bit. I think. I think we ended somewhere. It was it was definitely between five and ten strokes, so it wasn't a crazy <laughs> amount. Um, bunkers will be my enemy. Yeah, you you <laughs> got stuck in a few bunkers, and and 
You, look, like <laughs> hey, I started off in my defense. The back nine was great. I went par par in the back nine. Yeah, you, get, you and came then alive don't on the ask back me. Nine. Don't ask me what happened after that. <laughs> yeah. At one point, the the lead that you had was only within I think two or three strokes. Right. Yeah, you made up some ground, and then I had to kind of get my act together. But here, here's the thing. We we had talked about when we said it before. We did the classic Sportsnet 650 thing where it was like, yeah. if if you lose and we get a certain amount of text, Raja will do the one-chip challenge. We didn't get enough text, so the Sportsnet 650 one-chip challenge saga will not continue, at nope. least for now. Nope. That being said, I do think, and maybe this isn't the the wager we put on, but I do think we should play a few more rounds throughout the year and maybe make it like a, a series of some sort with with a either prize or punishment at the end. Preferably a prize. Preferably. No, yeah, um, I don't do punishments very well. Uh, Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott Wolf, uh, we have an answer to what happened to Harnarine Singh. Is he just press, pressed end too quickly. Understandable. That happens sometimes. Good thing he did it at the right time. Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott Wolf, Sportsnet 650. Coming up, the five most pressing questions in the world of sports. We'll answer the Muse of the five W's. It's coming up next on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Friday night's got a bit brighter. Yeah, but you ain't so bright. On the radio, this is Sportsnet Tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott Wolf. It is Sportsnet 650, Sportsnet tonight. Roger Shurgill, Josh Elliott Wolf, back with you. Hope you guys are enjoying your Friday just after 8 o'clock. Hope everybody is safe as well. 5W is coming up in just a couple of minutes' time. Five most pressing questions when it comes to the National Hockey League and your Vancouver Canucks. We will answer them using the 5W's poll question that we are asking everybody today on Sportsnet 650's Twitter account, which, or who, sorry, has been the most underrated player for the Canucks this season. Nate Schmidt, Tyler Myers, Brandon Sutter, or other are the options that we are giving you. Nate Schmidt, the leader, 39%. Tyler Myers right behind him at 30%. Other is leading, sorry, is in third place. Brandon Sutter last at 13.5%. Stephen Quinn on Twitter. How can Myers and Sutter be underrated when their salaries are more than double what they should be? You could put both on waivers and neither would be claimed. Even if you retained half their salary, they would not be retained. Uh, sorry, they would not be claimed. A uh, couple of different places to go there with, with Steven on that tweet. You can definitely be underrated when you make more money than you probably deserve. That's actually why they're underrated, Stephen, because of the fact that the Canucks are paying these players so much money and money that could obviously be better used elsewhere. A lot of people are saying that these guys are worse players than they really are. And and that's why Tyler Myers, Brandon Zutter, Jay Beagle, Antoine Roussel, whoever else they might be, continue to get the hate in this city. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't necessarily. Obviously, a few of those players are better than the others. And those couple of players that are better than the others are Myers and Sutter, who, in my opinion, both of them, especially Myers, have had great seasons, but they just don't get the respect that they deserve. That's why, Steven, they are underrated. And when you say you could put both the waivers and either would be claimed, 
Very true. However, then you go on to say, even if you retained half their salary, they would not be claimed untrue. Who would <laughs> not? False. False. Come on. Who would not want a Tyler Myers at $3 million? Yeah. Who look. would not want a Brandon Sutter at $2.5 million? Come on. Give me a break here. Uh, teams would be clamoring to get especially Myers at $3 million. The issue, yeah, the issue with both of them is the money. And that's a completely fair issue. It's fine to have a, yes. have a problem with their contract. But if you're saying that a team wouldn't take Tyler Myers at $3 million, even though there is three more years on his contract after this. You're out to lunch. Yeah, like he he's not that bad of a, a defenseman. And same with Brandon Sutter. Look, if you're paying $2 million for – one year, Brandon Sutter. Teams are going to take that. Let me tell you something, Stephen, on, on, on Twitter here. You were saying that the Canucks won't, or sorry, no team, would give Brandon Sutter $2 bucks. essentially? There's a very good chance that Brandon Sutter comes to the Canucks next year making $2 million. Or go somewhere where, yeah. look, he's a veteran presence. Hey, maybe, maybe he's somebody like Jason Spezza or whatever, and he signs a cheaper contract, but... If he if he wanted to max out his value for next year, he could probably get two million somewhere. Uh, I, just depends on what he prioritizes, I, really. I do think personally, I believe, and we're gonna get to this in the five Ws. Uh, I do think that Brandon Sutter is going to come back to the Canucks, and I think two million dollars is probably around where he's going to get. So yes. The team that you're talking about, or you're saying that no team would give Santa Sutter $2 million, well, you might just be ha- seeing it in a few months, the Canucks giving him an extension, and it might be in that $2 million ballpark. Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott Wolf, lots more of your texts to read, lots more of your tweets to read as well. Olio Levy coming in on the most underrated player. Travis Hamanick is there as well. That's a guy that I would definitely put into that category. Um, but we'll read more of them as the show goes on. But right now, it's time for the five W's. Here are today's five W's. Who? Who has stood out the most from the Canucks' most recent pickups? I am going to say Matthew Highmore. And the hope when he was acquired for Adam Gaudet was that he would bring that Tyler Mott energy that we saw in the bottom six and we've become kind of accustomed to. And, and I think a lot of people view him as the ideal bottom six forward for the Vancouver Canucks, a guy that can kill penalties, finishes his checks, can, and can still contribute offensively. And so far, Matthew Highmore has brought the same kind of energy that Tyler Mott brings. The key word there is so far, though, because my concern when a new player goes to a team is that that is only going to last for a few games. And once that adrenaline kind of wears off and they kind of get accustomed to where they are, they kind of settle into maybe being a bit more of just a passenger on the ice and not really trying to impress anybody anymore. So if that can continue for two, three, four weeks, then I'll be completely sold on Highmore as a bottom six piece. But we also need to see a bit more offense from him. From him, There's been a couple chances, and obviously he's only played in a couple games so far, but just pick up a couple points here or there. You don't have to be a huge offensive threat, but somebody that can 
add a goal here or there goes a long way, like Tyler Mott does for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, I'll agree with you. I think it is Matthew Highmore. Uh, I'll be honest, I have not been impressed whatsoever from what I've seen from Jimmy VC. Travis Boyd has looked all right, I guess. Nothing really special. And look, here, here's going back to this Brandon Sutter conversation about paying your players too much money and whatnot. Just because you play, you pay players a lot of money and because they don't equal or their value, sorry, doesn't equal the amount of money that you are paying them doesn't mean that players that are in that role that are getting paid less are better. I think that was the issue that a lot of people had, that Jimmy Vesey and Travis Boyd and Matthew Highmore are going to come in and be very cheap players on your bottom six and contribute better than guys like a Brandon Sutter, like a Jay Beagle, like an Antoine Roussel. And sure, that might be true for a couple of those players. That being said, however, they that is not true when it comes to, to the kind of impact that they are making currently on the Vancouver Canucks. And that's why, as much as the bar isn't that high, I think Matthew Highmore's speed has really impacted, uh, you know, where he is on this list. I think that's a player that's actually done a very good job. The other player that I kind of want to put into this category, Josh, is also Jace Howerluck. I've liked what I've what I've seen from Howerluck. He was a player that I personally was very excited about when he came into the Canucks as a free agent last, uh, sorry, this offseason. Unfortunately for him, he got injured, uh, you know, in the, at training camp, so he wasn't really able to make this team right off the jump and, and really showed what he had. He was dealing with the, the injury before he eventually got into Canucks games, but he's got a lot of speed as well. So, you know, the most recent pickups, I would definitely give it to Matthew Highmore and Jace Howerluck uh, in, in that category as to players who can at least probably give me the hope of staying on this team for a couple of seasons time and, and maybe being able to, to find a role for the long term. What? What is the single biggest change you would want to see during the offseason for the Vancouver Canucks? I personally need to see a change in the front office and I'm not going to fly a banner over, over Vancouver to get it. Oh, we'll get to that. We're going to get to that but I also don't necessarily need to see Jim Benning get fired. Though that is that is an option, and I will say that I am I'm completely open to it. I don't think he's doing a great job, but the team could also add a president of hockey ops or change the way they handle responsibilities and management because the way it's set up right now just isn't really working. I think the drafting has been okay, and obviously there's been a few core pieces added throughout the past few years, but now it's time to look and look to the future and take that next step of becoming a consistent playoff team and gearing up for a few years where you have a window to win a Stanley Cup. And and right now, that's where the Canucks are struggling with cap allocation and with just kind of pro scouting as well. So if they can maybe bring in a couple guys who really excel at that, whether it be a president of hockey ops or a pro scout or two that are, are well known around the league for succeeding in that role then I'll have a little bit more hope going into next season but I just don't want to see the Canucks waste Pedersen and Hughes's prime years and I don't think they're in their prime years yet but right now they're probably near their peak or at their peak and while you have that you can't be missing the playoffs year in year out I'm gonna start to sound like the resident Brandon Sutter fan here in Vancouver because 
my answer is going to be adding a third line center iceman. And as much as I sort of gave praise to Brandon Sutter and, and how much he really helps almost any team in the NHL, there's a very good likelihood that Brandon Sutter is going to be the third line center for this Canucks team next year. And sure, if it's one year, that's fine, I guess. But at the end of the day, this team needs to really do a jo better job of finding offense from at least three lines right now. Uh, you can't be so power play reliant that they have been in the last couple of years. You can't be so you know, heavy on your top six and, and not really have options to balance out your lineup. And third line center ice is a long-term issue for this Canucks team. I think a lot of people were looking at Adam Gaudet as that fixture on that line. However, we know that he wasn't cutting it out at center ice and eventually traded to the Chicago Blackhawks. And do you think he's better suited as a winger anyway? But at third line center, Josh, that's a long-term hole for the Vancouver Canucks right now and how are they going to address that is it free agency is it trade I'm not necessarily sure it's going to be very hard to find somebody that can fit that mold for you in free agency and we know the price of acquiring a centerman is also through the roof as well when it comes to the trade market so I'm not necessarily sure how exactly they're going to fit that or find that player that they need for, to play third line center for you, which is why I do believe it's going to be a player like Brandon Sutter coming back. But if they can find a way to, to get that third line spot filled and also then gives you the, sorry, that also then gives you that flexibility to perhaps move a player like Vasily Colson down to that third line, or maybe it's Tanner Pearson down to that third line. And maybe you now start to generate some scoring, not just from your top six, but now it's coming down to your top nine as well. I think it's going to do wonders for the Canucks. There's a lot of holes on this team. Defense is obviously another one that I could have mentioned in there. You added Nate Schmidt last year or this past season. I think third line center is kind of where you have to look now going forward into this offseason. Why? Why doesn't Travis Eve Green have a contract yet? So there's a couple different things, but the one I'm going to go with is I believe the team is still evaluating Travis Green. And believe it or not, I don't know if they're 100% sold on the idea of Travis Green being the head coach of the future. Well, I think you and I are both in the same boat where we, we think he's a pretty good coach. And if he wasn't here next year, he's very easily going to have a job elsewhere. I don't know if the organization is sold 100% on him being the guy and being the head coach that can maybe get them to the Stanley Cup final if they get the pieces in place. That being said, I think from an outside looking in point, he does seem to be the guy or at least have a pretty good chance at being the guy, especially when you look at what he did with the team in the bubble last season. And look, you can, you can put a bit of that on goaltending as well, but Travis Green played a big part in that. And this year, I know the team hasn't gotten the results they were looking for, but I, I don't know if I put that on Green's coaching necessarily. But that being said, I don't know if the organization is 100% sold on him being the head coach of the future in Vancouver. If they're not sold, I think that's a big mistake. I get it. He's not, you know, one of the prime candidates on the market right now. He's not Gerard Gallant, right? He's not Claude Julien. But from all accounts and everything that we've heard this Vancouver Canucks team 
is not spending the type of money that it's going to cost to bring in a guy like Gerard Gallant or a Claude Julien or whoever it might be. So, if you're looking at bringing in another cheap coach, probably from the American Hockey League, and somebody who's not going to cost you a whole lot of money because finances are tight right now due to COVID-19, I don't understand why you're parting ways with a head coach that has actually done a very good job for you for the past number of seasons when the personnel hasn't been good enough on the ice. I think Travis Green, a couple of things that I've noticed from Travis Green. Number one, he's a fantastic motivator. The Canucks were not supposed to go as far as they did in the playoffs last season. And you have to say a hand in that goes to Travis Green and the coaching that it took for the Canucks to get that far in the postseason. The other thing is the rookies that have come out in Vancouver. And I'm not going to say that he's done a great job developing them because we know that that's not necessarily his job. That's not what he has done. Uh, that's obviously their rookie. That's obviously their junior team or or their coaches at, at other levels in their hockey development. But what Travis Green has done has a, is, has done a great job of is integrating them to the NHL at a very good sort of pace. You saw Brock Besser getting healthy scratched for the first couple of games of his career. People were all up in arms about that. He slowly integrated him in there, got him used to the locker room, his new teammates, and Besser all of a sudden is now the player that we know that he's become. Same thing with Quinn Hughes. You're not throwing him to the Wolves right away on power play number one. Pedersen's the same thing. We're seeing what he's done with Niels Hoaglander. He's done a very good job of bringing these players into his lineup and using them in ways that, yeah, perhaps people that are watching might be like, whoa, what are you doing? But when you look at the end product, it's actually been pretty good. I don't want to hear anything to do with the fact that Travis Green is a stopgap coach. Sure, he was brought in in the middle of a quote-unquote rebuild, and it was a cheap hire because he was coming from the American Hockey League, I presume. But at the same time, this is a coach that has done a great job for you for the past like three seasons. What I compare him to, Josh, is Alain Vigneault. AV came up from the Manitoba Moose at the time, and Mike Gillis was not sold on him, apparently wanted to ship him away, bring in his own guy. But he gave him the opportunity, liked what he did, gave him another chance, extended him long-term, and now Alain Vigneault, one of the best coaches in the National Hockey League. Not saying that's exactly the career path that Travis Green's going to go on, but I'm saying that the success based on the personnel that the Canucks have is similar. Travis Green doesn't have the personnel that is needed to be as successful as he possibly can be, and that's true in a lot of, you know, NHL's coaching realm. So you got to really, in my opinion, give him that contract. It just does not make any sense as to why Travis Green is still a lame duck head coach. Where? Where do you stand on this fire-benning banner controversy? Controversy. Uh, so you've heard a lot of thoughts. On the station this week, I think. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I've got a few things. Look, I I don't care how how people spend their money. Like I spent fifteen dollars at Chipotle yesterday. I <laughs> judging <man>. you. <laughs> yeah, like you can spend your money on whatever you want. I I really don't care. And look, honestly, I love the passion in this market. I think we can all agree it's a lot more fun to be part of something where people care than to be part of something where people ignore issues and 
and are content with the status quo of Could what's... Could you imagine covering the Arizona Coyotes? Oh, <laughs> I mean, it'd be relaxing in a way, but at the same time, you'd be like, oh, man, like, somebody please care. <laughs> uh, but I do think it's it's funny. And if you look at it, if here's the thing I was seeing on Twitter. People were, were laughing at it because it actually happened. And if you're... If you're looking at it from that point of view, I completely agree with you. I was on, I was, I was with you as well. And like, I'm not the biggest fan of Jim Benning. I didn't spend any money on the banner, but I understand why people thought it was maybe funny. The other subsection of people that were like, this is history. This is like a moment we will never forget. And this is serious. <laughs> it's like, okay, man. Like, <laughs> it's not that serious. It's not that serious. <laughs> right. Like it's, I, it's not going to be the reason that Jim Benning gets fired if he gets fired at some point. Like, yeah. And I, I can already see the people that, let's say he got fired this offseason, they're going to be like, the banner worked! No, man, like, the effectiveness is not the the point of this. I think it's hilarious, and it seems like such a Vancouver Canucks fan thing to do. But if you were taking this serious, you have completely missed the boat on what's going on. Here. Well, you know what? This is a very COVID-19 thing. If there was fans in the stands, there wouldn't be a banner in the sky. There would be voices in Rogers Arena pretty much chanting fire betting. We've seen it. We've seen it before here in this city. So my take on the banner is, like you mentioned, it's great to see the passion. And that's the part that I love it because it really it gave me a very European soccer vibe. right? Those fans in Europe for soccer are crazy. And they do a lot of things to support their team and to really show how pissed off they are when things aren't going well. Just look no further than Arsenal right now. And that gave me that type of vibe where the market and the fans are willing to give up their hard-earned money for something as stupid <laughs> as a banner, but they're doing it because they love the team and they don't like the direction that it's going in. So I, I do like that and to your point yeah it's not going to get general manager jim benning fired that's not why it's going to happen if benning gets fired it's simply because of the lack of success that the canucks have had over the course of his tenure what you mentioned there that i do agree with is that this team or sorry is the fact that the banner josh shouldn't piss as many people off as it did right like there was a lot of people who are anti Anti-banner, I guess. Pro-Jim Benning, if you want to call it that. Fire banner. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? Like, a lot of people that are on this, like, screw the banner side are saying that this is stupid and you shouldn't do this and put your money somewhere else. Sure, whatever. The thing is, who cares? Like, it's a banner, man. It's it's mean. From a human level, if I'm Jim Benning and I'm part of Jim Benning's family and I see that, like, it sucks. It also comes with the territory. It definitely though, right? comes with the territory. It's like you sign up kind of for this. You sign Especially up. Especially in a Canadian market. Especially in Canada. You Like, you have to expect it at some point, right? And it sucks. It sucks. But at the same time, it is what it is. And the Canucks fan base obviously want big changes to come to the Canucks front office and Jim Benning because of the fact that he's the general manager I don't necessarily believe that he's calling all those shots because we know there is somebody pulling the strings in at least some direction and I do think that it's the ownership 
it's not his fault, but he is the guy that's sort of on the face of that, and that's the biggest change that needs to be made, I guess, by some fans. So unfortunately for, unfortunately for Jim, uh, it sucks. However, from a fan point of view, I kind of like it because of the fact it shows all of this emotion that is really the Vancouver Canucks fans. When? I forgot we had another one. When do we start taking the Carolina Hurricanes seriously? Yeah, we got one. This is the last one. Uh, I say it's already too late, man. Like, they're leading the division over the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Florida Panthers. The Canes, they also got games in hand. Like, they are they are a threat to not only get far in the playoffs, but maybe make the Stanley Cup Finals, maybe win a Stanley Cup. And we talk about lame duck head coaches. Rod Brindamore is the best head coach that is awaiting a contract right now. Do you think there's radio hosts in Carolina given the same rant that I just <laughs> did about Rod Brendamore? Yeah, well, it's Carolina. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but maybe. Maybe maybe one guy in Carolina is pretty upset right now. But look at their team, too. Like, they've got depth at every position. Sebastian Ajo, to me, is one of, if not the most underrated centers in the NHL. Their defense is amazing, uh, amazing headlined by Dougie Hamilton. And they have three goalies right now, like Peter Mrazek, who's been injured for a while, and that, that was supposed to be their number one guy. James Reimer, who is a very capable backup. And Alex, oh, I forgot how to say his last name, Ned Klevich, I believe. <laughs> uh, Jack Klevich, I believe. Yeah, sure. He's been awesome this year, rookie goaltender that, yeah. hey, maybe he gets a few Calder votes as well. That's my pick for uh, an underdog team to come out. I don't know if they are still an underdog pick to make. Like, it's one of those Cup weird final. markets. That's why you're. I get. That's why you're probably saying they're an underdog. Yeah, Carolina, but like they're sick. I still think they're they're overlooked for how yes. threatening they are for sure. So. Uh, they, they need to be taken seriously right now. Yeah, they should be taken seriously because if you're not taking them seriously, like you're going to lose hockey games. And if you are a team that is in that division, the Carolina Hurricanes could definitely get past both Florida teams, including the Lightning. The Panthers, by the way, another team that you should be taking seriously as well. But the Hurricanes, based on the speed and skill that they have on that squad, are, is it weird to say this, but are becoming a model franchise in the National Hockey League? They're at least close. Like, I would They've still say a- the Tampa Bay Lightning are the franchise you want to be, but, like, the next tier, the Hurricanes are in that tier. They've got to be, man. It's uh, That's a tight division. Very tight division. Uh, Dallas Stars, by the way, still got a few games at hand. The team that got all the way to the cup final last year, not exactly in the playoff bubble right now. But the Carolina Hurricanes, as you mentioned, you got to start taking this team seriously. Uh, a few friends that I've talked to actually have them in the Stanley Cup final. I'm not sure if I would. There's not a like that's not wrong. You can't say that. I don't think there's anything about this team in which you can say, Josh, that the Hurricanes shouldn't be in the cup final. If you said that the Hurricanes are my cup champions this year, I would say, yeah, probably. I just don't see any sort of flaws. The thing is, do they have what it takes to get over the top? It's hockey. It's anything can happen. The Carolina Hurricanes are definitely, I think, probably top three or four of my Stanley Cup 
championship caliber teams. Roger Shergill, Josh Ellie Wolf, Bick Nazar, host of Bick and the Boss, is going to be joining us in uh, in a few minutes' time on the other side. We'll talk to him about what's going on in the NHL, maybe get his take on the Carolina Hurricanes, and also some National Football League stuff as well. That's coming up on Sportsnet tonight with Roger Shergill and Josh Elliott Wolf on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Listening to Sportsnet tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott Wolf. Now here are your hosts, Raja and Josh. Isn't that something? Not only does the promo right before we bring in Bick Nazar promo the show, Bick and the Boss with Bick Nazar and the Boss Craig McEwen, Josh Elliott Wolf also playing some J Cole. Bick, what's up? How does that make you feel? Uh, outraged. Uh, <laughs> I was, you know, trying to do you guys a favor. I like coming on with you because you got these old man takes. And, you know, I, 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 I think I'm hip with the kids. And uh, <laughs> you, you played J. Cole to bring me in. Just brutal. You're, you're Jeff Skinner. Uh, sorry, Jeff Skinner. You're Principal Skinner. That, uh, you Jeff know, Skinner. Yeah, that uh, fellow kids sort of meme. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm Grandpa Simpson. Old man yells at Cloud. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. And, and look, I deal, I, I deal with enough of that with uh, C-Mac, so the last <laughs> thing I needed is, is is you to give me that Man, sort of grief. the well. boss was all over Twitter, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the boss had his day. It's great. <laughs> For somebody that doesn't use Twitter, he was mentioned on Twitter <laughs> way more often than usual. Yeah. For sure, for yeah. sure. See, I'm afraid that's going to happen with my old uh, conservative hockey takes, but not yet. Eventually, one day. But I guess we all live for that moment here on Sports 650. Uh, Roger Shergill, Your day will come. Your day will come. It, one day it will, trust me. Uh, Roger Shergill, Josh Shelley, Wolf, Bick Nazar joining us, host of Bick and the Boss, also producer of The People Show here on Sportsnet 650. When you took that picture of Sat, did you immediately realize how gold it was? <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. I... I I knew what I was doing. Oh, I yeah. knew what I was doing. For those who don't know, Satyar Shah, host of the People's Show, uh, has a commercial out of VCLC, and he's just watching himself on the big screen, uh, just smiling, cackling. We all, I can like hear the laugh that Sat is doing, and in that particular moment. Look, there's a break in play, and a commercial. His own commercial comes on during the game. I'm sure he was just, you know, didn't need to focus on the game for a minute, and just who who, who wouldn't draw their eyes to the TV screen when Sat's on? So. Oh, exactly. He's a exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, six uh, Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott, Wolf Sports Set tonight. Uh, the question that we're asking everybody, it's on our uh, poll as well. Who has been the most underrated Connects player this season? The choices, Bick, that we've put out there are Nate Schmidt, Tyler Myers, Brandon Sutter, uh, or other. Who would you give uh, the nod to? Uh, traditionally, look, I- I'm a number one Tyler Myers stan, right? I've called him the inkblot D-man. People are going to choose to see what they want to see. Uh, so normally, under normal circumstances, I would I would be here to champion his cause. But I think this week has probably been a good week for people to see Tyler Myers' value, especially when you consider what happened in the first game back, him logging 30 minutes in that game versus Toronto. Uh, but I, I really think that like Brandon Sutter's season is kind of going – over or sorry, underrated and, and mm. overlooked big time. And so he, he's, you know, for the first time, we haven't seen a lot of complaints about Brandon Sutter's contract or anything like that. Maybe because people see the, the light at the end of the tunnel. And so it's, you know, the end of his contract and there was opportunities to maybe trade him. And, but, but to be honest, with a, a certain, 
level of health, obviously, with Brandon Sutter and probably just more consistent line mates and perhaps a better quality set of line mates. It kind of seems like he's been, I don't want to say full value, but done enough, and he's obviously provided a hat-trick game, but he's done enough to, for people to look at and say, okay, the, the, him coming off of the playoffs where he really showcased uh, how his style of play can be of value to any team in hard minutes and in difficult situations. To me, Brandon Sutter's season is just fit in nicely for the Vancouver Canucks. In that vein, obviously his contract is up this offseason, and there's been a little bit of talk about him coming back. With all that in mind, would you be open to re-signing him, assuming it's like a year-to-year contract basis? It's got to be on your own terms, though, right? If Brandon Sutter wants a certain dollar figure that is outside of, say, like, I'm probably going to, like, $1.2 million. That's really about it. It's got to be on your terms. It's got to be the way you structure, you know, fits within your structure of your team build. If Brandon Sutter wants a certain dollar figure, pat him on the back, give him a hug, and say, hey, congratulations, good luck on the open market, but we can't go there. If he wants to come back at a certain price range, okay, I can live with that. Here's the issue, though, is are you solving your third-line center spot? Like, that's like that's mm-hmm. the thing that's going to be troubling Jim Betting this offseason. And Brandon Sutter, again, has had a decent season. Is he a solution to third-line center, or is he just a guy filling a role? Mm-hmm. And and that's, like, that's what's at the issue. And Travis Boyd has come in, and you would look at him and say, okay, that's a guy who looks like he can – be a solution at fourth line center. Mm-hmm. So if you dedicate money to Brandon Sutter, you know, you can't put him on the fourth line because you've already got Travis Boyd there. And yeah, depth is great, but you have to solve third line center. You need a true play driver. And they haven't had that for mm-hmm. his, his whole existence here as he's slowly been demoted down the line. We, we, we tried the second line center. That's not what he is. And he's playing at third line center. He's doing okay, but you need a, play driver you you need you need to start getting guys that are elite in their roles yeah and that's essentially what i said in our previous segment bick is that the the canucks really do need that long-term fixture on the third line and and i do believe that brad and sutter is going to return next season and, and play that role but to your point he's just going to be filling a role but when it does come to adding in the offseason next year for vancouver is that third line center spot that you look at as the most biggest need or is there somewhere else in the lineup that you might rather use your resources it's probably the biggest need right now here's the thing like do the circumstances changes come the offseason right is there going to be turnover and in, in, in change to the blue line because if you're losing one of your top four guys and Alex Sedler's not returning you know, what does that look like we've heard Nate Schmidt's name for some time, if if he's going out of the roster, you've got you you need to get a dedicated top four. Travis Hamonick's uh, UFA, or you're bringing him back at what price? So if if you're retaining your blue line, then okay, third line center jumps up to the immediate priority. But if you're making changes along the back end, your top four is a bigger deal than your third line center. Definitely, and it's it's going to be tough for the Canucks to do anything right this offseason with how their how their mm-hmm. cap is structured and and on top of that how unwilling uh ownership kind of seems to be towards adding money to the books right 
Well, you know, when you spend $34 million uh, in short order, does that mean you're willing to spend on the on-ice product, right? On the on-ice product, I think by and large you would say history dictates that they've been willing to spend up to the cap both on on the, the, the cap and also just the real cash dollars. They have been willing to spend money there. You think of some of the contracts that uh, – have been handed out your Sven Berchies, your Michael Furlins, right? Like they have shown a willingness to spend in the past. Now this season, we know their actual cash spending has been significantly lower. It's on the bottom end of the NHL spectrum. And now by design, it certainly seems like it'll be interesting to see if, if that becomes a priority once again. Now we've had the conversation of, do they spend off the ice, whether it's on coaching, scouting, all this sort of stuff? That that conversation, I think, is still valid. And is it just part of the business model to not dedicate money off the ice? That's fair to ask. But I would say, by and large, on the ice, Canucks fans should be uh, supportive of the idea that this is an ownership group that has spent money on the ice. And it's it's a pandemic world. I understand that. And, and people curtail your funds. That That's a natural thing and i've used the term you know your fandom doesn't exist in a silo as much as you want to complain about some of the spending you do have to consider the context of hey this is a pandemic year and like 81 million dollars is a lot of money uh but my expectation beyond this season is yeah okay there should be some spending brought back to the on ice product Bick Nazara, Bick and the Boss joining Raja Shurgill and myself Josh Elliott Wolf on Sportsnet tonight switching gears a bit uh, looking at this season for the Vancouver Canucks, what do you kind of take away from the past few games? Obviously, Sunday, I know you guys on the People so Show said it was the best game of the year, and and then they kind of followed it up with another good performance, and last night I would still say they played well, just obviously didn't get the result. How do you look at the rest of the season for the team, and where would you kind of put their playoff chances in your eyes through, throughout the rest of the season? Well, I think what you can take away from this past week is there's no quit in the team. They're willing to show up and put in an effort for 60 minutes because no one would begrudge them if they packed it into some sort of uh, degree uh, with 19 games to go, dealing with COVID and dealing with the stoppage. It, the, the conditions were never ideal. They were openly protesting, obviously, against the league, uh, having to do this return to play, getting their delay. And here they are. They're, they're putting in honest efforts. And even last night, you would say, hey, that's a real effort. They needed a bit more, but I just don't know if they have that ability right now to fire that extra 5% because of what they had to deal with. Uh, is your fitness up to a certain level? Are you in game shape? They're probably not. So you can only get to a certain on-ice level that they just weren't, uh, weren't able to last night. And what's interesting about the idea of, hey, they're not quitting is – yeah, you can look at the standings and they have a real effort to get into this. But one of the reasons I would say that they're not quitting is they have a, a leader among them at head coach that is able to band them together and, and push towards this this potential playoff push as lofty as it seems. And here's this coach who's got 16 games remaining on his contract. It's it's a really interesting dynamic between, hey, he's able to do the job and the, and the players are obviously giving a lot of effort. But looming large over everything is the fact that they don't have a head coach right now. Like, like that's the issue. 
Bick Nazar from Bick and the Boss joining us here on Sportsnet tonight. Roger Shergill and Josh Elliott. Well, switching gears a little bit, Bick, to the National Football League. Draft coming up in a few days' time. I know you're a big fan of the NFL draft. Uh, who are you looking forward to seeing their name called the most when it comes to uh, the National Football League draft? Uh, Trey Lance, that's my guy. Uh, I, I don't know if he uh, will go as high as I want him to. I just know that when he goes, uh, I will applaud whichever team uh, drafts him. He's the quarterback from North Dakota State. Uh, I know Carson Wentz came from that area as well. And uh, I, I just look at it, and I think he's got the highest upside. And for me, uh, when you're looking at uh, guys that can uh, – you know, when you look to where the NFL is trending, right, it's going gonna, it's gonna to become athletic quarterbacks. It's – you know, guys who can attack the, the the deep part of the field. He's got good accuracy, and he's very, very uh, raw. But the things he's already good at are the things that are translatable to the NFL. He's already calling protections at North uh, North Dakota for the offensive line. So that's something that, hey, is, is that something he can handle early on in his career? Uh, and, and I just look at him as it feels like he's got infinite upside. And when you have a secure enough baseline, those are the guys I want to take bets on. Um, I'm a Chargers fan. They're picking at 13th overall. The guy that I want in terms of uh, a very flashy player is Kyle Pitts. Don't think he's going to go that far. Where do you see him landing, and what do you like so much about his game? So his landing spot to me is really fascinating because I think you could make a case for four. You could make a case for five. You could make a case for six. You could make a case for seven. It, it, he can, can he go, make a case he, for 13? <laughs> look, if he, if he lasts that long, then something severely wrong has happened, right? Like he, he should go fourth overall to, to Atlanta. I think if, if you're the Falcons, you have an opportunity to get the best player available, then go do it. But – I kind of feel like they haven't. They'll have an opportunity to trade down, and if for anybody that's trading up, you're doing it to get a quarterback. So if Atlanta sticks there, to me, it makes a ton of sense to pair him with Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, and then in the second round or even beyond, you can get a running back. And suddenly, you look at that offense, and it's it's truly one of the better offensive lines, or the, one of the best offensives, off, potentially offenses in the league. And you can milk the last couple of years of Matt Ryan's career, and and that's what you want to do. And he's he'd be such a great fit. You've seen the success uh, guys have had in in Tennessee uh, with Arthur Smith, who's now the head coach in Atlanta. You know, John U. Smith and whatnot. He could be a souped-up version of that. And you know, when, when you start grading these players, I, I you know I, I've been trying to take it seriously for for NFL scouting for you know seven eight years. I've only ha handed out a handful of grades that you would say this guy's going to the Hall of Fame, and Kyle Pitts is one of those guys. It's, it's, it's I, I just laugh watching it because I, I don't know what else you're supposed to do. You, you, you know, you can sit here and be like, oh, he's doing this and he's doing this, but it's so entertaining to watch what he did in Florida. You just can't help but marvel at it and, and kind of laugh of how, how did everybody in college expect to to try to beat him? The Atlanta Falcons are one of the the variables in the top five, but who would you say is the most intriguing team for you heading into the draft? Carolina Panthers. Uh, that would be one. Like it's it's so fascinating too because that team. I, I've got some stock in them. I had some stock in them last year, and you know, picked them to do some things and bet on them a couple times, and they kept kind of sputtering. And they've got a lot of options. They 
they can keep being aggressive on the offensive side of the ball. Obviously, they go get Sam Darnold, and they got DJ Moore, who is a really strong player. Christian McCaffrey, obviously. They need some help on the offensive line, so is that a spot you can get a Tevin Jenkins or a Panay Sewell if he happens to slide that far or a – you know, it is kind of a loaded uh, offensive tackle draft and really an offensive line draft as well. And, look, I know that's not sexy, but it is something that they absolutely need. Do you look at the defensive side of the ball? You know, a Patrick Sertain the second or a J.C. Horn could kind of fit their mold. Those, like, those are two cornerbacks who might be uh, scheme-proof, right? It's, it's If you get them, you build your defense around them. And, and they'll fit into whatever you're trying to do as well. Uh, I really like those two players. So they got a lot of options. Uh, and, and I guess that's why it's confusing is because they can go any different number of routes. And I know there was a report today that maybe, hey, they could be one of the candidates to trade back. But when you're in the top eight in a draft that's kind of shallow, to be honest, as far as elite-level talent, you got to be aware of how far you want to trade back because uh, you don't want to miss out on the, you know, for me, probably like four, 16 to 17 guys that have real star level potential. That's the guy that I'm looking at, J.C. Horn, uh, for the Chargers at 13th. If it wasn't Kyle Pitts, which it's obviously not going to be. Hey, uh, hey yeah, like that would be awesome. I, 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 as far as corners, I, I love watching defensive backs, and yep. uh, J.C. Horn was uh, one of my favorites to watch uh, in the past couple of years because he's he's really aggressive, and you want to play man to man. Uh, more often, it's it's it kind of feels like that's where the league is trending, and he would fit perfect in uh, Chargers. He's got the uh, Bick Nazar approval. I do too. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Bick. Really appreciate your time. Anytime, boys. That is Bick Nazar, host of Bick and the Boss here on Sportsnet 650. Love his insight on both the National Hockey League, your Vancouver Canucks, and of course the National Football League as well. The draft coming up in just a few days' time, scheduled for April the 29th. Roger Shurgill, Josh Elliott Wolf with you. Chris Faber is going to join us from the Canucks Conversation Podcast. He's going to be discussing all about Vancouver Canucks prospects, including some talk about a defenseman that, at least for now, shall not be named. We're not going to say his name. We won't say his name yet. We won't say his name yet, but he's from Russia. I'll tell you that much. Could he be returning to Vancouver? We'll discuss who it is if you haven't already figured it out. On the other side, Roger Shrigal, Josh Elliott-Wolf, Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Sportsnet Tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott-Wolf. Now here are your hosts, Raja and Josh. Final hour of the show, it is Sportsnet Tonight. Raja Shergill with you, Josh Elliott-Wolf alongside me. Hope you guys are enjoying your Friday night. Hope you guys have a good weekend. Not expected to be great weather, although we had... Uh, a few days in a row of just beautiful weather. It was the classic Vancouver preview of summer. Then it's going to rain for a few more weeks. Yeah. And then you get real summer. It is going. Exactly. Chris Faber going to join us in about 10 minutes time. We'll talk some uh, Canucks prospects with them, including uh, a very polarizing defenseman. If I shall say his name, I will maybe in a few minutes time. Um, there was this, uh, like, I don't know how to feel about this. It kind of pissed me off. I'll be honest, it, it did. It pissed me off. There was this commercial that ran during the Canucks broadcast. And it had people all over Twitter talking 
And quite honestly, I'm pretty surprised that they would even run something like this during a Canucks broadcast. It's pretty crazy. On Sportsnet. Sportsnet Pacific. Ran this commercial. And I don't know how I feel about it, man. It made me, quite honestly, Josh, feel pretty uncomfortable. I think everybody knows what I'm talking about right now. I definitely do. Satyar Shah doing the BCLC commercial. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even. Satyar Shah on BCLC looks beautiful doing it. Sat gives props. Handsome, as always, giving his prop bets, or I guess promoting the fact that he's going to does give prop bets, uh, partnering with BCLC, but the, the picture after, and I mentioned it in the conversation with Bick, the picture after on Twitter is the best part because he's watching himself <laughs> give the commercial, do the commercial, and he's smile like he he's got a mask on. He's proud of himself. He's got a mask on, but you can tell like through the mask, it's the biggest smile in the world. Yeah, and look, okay, honestly, I know we're like laughing at the picture, but like if I was on TV in a commercial. I wouldn't be able to not watch it when it comes on. Of course. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just funny because like if you if you just sort of like step away from the bubble or or in that picture, you gotta remember Sat's on the panel. Like he's on TV that yeah. day. He's on TV all the for longer stretches too. Yes. Doing his job. <laughs> Sat's a beauty. And he's he's watching himself on TV and it's like made I got I gotta tell you, it made me feel uncomfortable because of how great Sat looked. And, Made me feel a little jealous. I was a little offended. But also, like, okay, here's the thing. I haven't had to, like, look at Satyar Shah for, like, a year now. And so I've been confident in my own skin. skin, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The only time I saw him on TV again, I was like, oh, no! The only time I've seen Sat recently is on TV. Yeah. Talk to him every day, almost. And they say it adds 10 pounds. Uh, Like, it just added, like, 10 pounds of muscle for him. I don't know what happened. Maybe a little bit to his ego as well. (laughs) Well... I think he's allowed to have an ego. He definitely he's allowed. the golden child. I just gotta, I just gotta say, it was a commercial kind of was one very obvious commercial that ra- that rubbed, I think, a lot of people the wrong way. And I don't know if uh, that commercial is going to be uh, running, how often it's going to be running, or anything. But I just gotta say, it makes me feel a type of way when I. I think it might be running a bit more frequently now. Maybe, yeah, more frequently some- than other commercials. Yeah, there might be some open spots. Perhaps. You never know. Chris Faber is going to join us in a few minutes' time. <laughs> uh, man, there's this defenseman on the Canucks. Well, he's not on the Canucks, but he's in the organization. And and I teased it in the beginning of the show. We, we held out long enough, but we cannot stay away from this topic much longer. I've got to say the name, Josh. Don't do it. Is, is Nikita... Tryankin going to get a contract done with the Canucks? I sure hope not. No? <laughs> and look, I, I don't even hope not because I think he's like, he, here's my thing with Nikita Trampkin. It's the same thing as Jake Vertanen, right. just worse. Because <laughs> it's like, oh, hey, like this guy could be a player. But with Jake Vertanen, you're like, it's like, okay, he's not a top six guy. He's a bottom six guy. Stop trying to make him a top six guy. With Nikita Trampkin, People are like, oh, you know what? He could be paired with, like, Tyler Myers, and they could play this, like, super tall, like, second <laughs> pair. And it's like, no, he is not an NHL defenseman. I don't know what to tell you. Maybe, like, a 7-8 guy. Right. 
well, even then, he would have to like fight to get to that point. Sure. Well, yes, exactly. That's that, that's what I agree with 100% is that a lot of people think that you bring him over and all of a sudden he's going to be pegged a roster spot. Let me, like, there's one thing. Like, the Canucks just went out and acquired Madison Bowie. And Madison Bowie is not necessarily that great of, great of a defenseman. He had some potential early on in his career, obviously hasn't lived up to it, and now he is what he is, a fringe National Hockey League blue liner, very well better suited for the American Hockey League level, but he's a guy that could fill in a role for you in a pinch. Nikita Trampkin is essentially that, if even. That's the, the type of player that Nikita Trampkin's going to be in in competition with, and there's a very good chance that a player like Bowie is going to beat Nikita Trampkin out. The thing, however, is, Josh, that you have to actually give Trampkin some National Hockey League money in the sense of real dollars for him to actually sign with your franchise, or it's probably going to be uh, him not playing for the Canucks. I think so. It's a so in essence, it's a very not very expensive, but it is a more expensive tryout, if you will. Yeah, I I think the idea of Trampkin is way more fun than Trampkin. Like the idea of him coming over and being this guy that slides into the top four and. He's a Dano Chara. Right. That's it, the we're living in the 2013 fantasy world that Yeah, we did. exactly. Just like let's keep it as a fantasy and it, just not don't don't like ruin it's like when you meet a celebrity and they're not at all what you thought they would be. Yeah. Just just keep it as a dream and you're going to be disappointed if it actually happens. Well, if you can temper your expectations you might not be disappointed. But are our fans able to do that with Trampkin? Because, as you mentioned, he is such a unique player from how he looks. He's a big, strong, tall, good skater for his size, and a guy that should obviously represent something that the Canucks have never had on their blue line before. And he can come in for you and hopefully play some minutes and and that's I think what a lot of people are holding on to the other issue with this Josh and I don't know if it's an issue necessarily but the other sort of question that needs to be asked is why does Nikita Trankin's name keep popping up it doesn't only pop up because his contract is up in Russia and he wants to come back to the NHL that's not the only reason the only reason, or one of the only reasons that this pops up, is because the Canucks, quite frankly, don't have a good enough blue line core that you are kind of obligated almost to give Trampkin a shot because what's the alternative? Yeah, Madison Bowie, like I mentioned, or other players like that? You're not, you're going to be spending a million or two million bucks, and the Canucks just shipped off Jordy Ben, who was making two million dollars. Is that a player that you can look at? And Jordy Ben and say Trampkin can come in and fill that type of role. Because if he can do that, then he's worth it. And that's the kind of role that fans need to understand that Trampkin is going to fill. And if he can do that, that's great because it shows you that he's an everyday NHL player. But I don't even know if that's the, the, the spot that Trampkin can get to. Can Trampkin be an everyday National Hockey League player? I don't know. And I don't think so. And as we mentioned, the dream and the hope and this fantasy of him being that is essentially what a lot of people are more excited about than actually the player, Nikita Trampkin. 
and and there has been some good moments when he was with the Canucks. I remember him scrapping Jamie Benn, and it was a, a fantastic, you know, sort of moment there. And when he had his first shift, everybody getting on their feet and clapping for him because they were so excited to see this third-round draft pick. It's it's something that fans really need to tamper their expectations about. I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't get as frustrated about it as other people do. I know like Josh was just talking about how you don't want to see him in the lineup whatsoever. I'm not there. I think it's all right to have him in the lineup. I think it's all right to see what he can give you. But as mentioned, it's going to be uh, a little bit of a, an expensive tryout, if you will. To talk more about uh, Nikita Tramkin, I guess. Oh, you don't know what you're you don't know what you're getting yourself into favor. We're having Tramkin talk right now. But uh, to talk more about Tramkin <laughs> and prospects, we've got Chris Faber on from Canucks Conversation Podcast and our very own here at Sports at Six Fifty. What's up, Fabes? I'm doing good, boys. I'm actually pretty high on the Tramkin lately. Oh I've, no, uh, I've cornered the Tramkin rookie card market. I even picked up uh, oh. iridescent rainbow version card. Oh, oh no, you've got a vested interest now, man. I know I'm I'm in too deep now though, boys. That's the problem. I've I've got I got all the rookie cards of Yulevi. I got all the rookie cards of Triamkin. I'm just cornering the market. Is is Triamkin going to sign with the Canucks? And if we do, or if he does sign with Vancouver, what is a realistic expectation? Or sorry, if yeah, he does think, come over. Yeah, I think the big question is going to be what that money value is going to be, right? I mean. I think if you get Triamkin under $1.6 million, it's worth a shot. I think if you can sign a one-year deal with Nikita Triamkin and it's somewhere in the 1.25 to 1.6, it's worth a shot to see what this guy is able to do. I think he took a big step this year playing for Bill Peters in the KHL, and Bill Peters used him a ton uh, in a different, a bunch of very different spots, like very different spots offensively. He was used on a net front presence on the second power play unit. He was the first guy killing penalties for them. He does a great job of killing penalties. And then he's going to do a lot of things that we see Tyler Myers do, where every once in a while, Tyler Myers just skates up the ice and slides by a bunch of guys and gets a shot off. Triampkin was doing that all season long in the KHL. Like His numbers might not be as good as they were in his first year back to the KHL, but this guy was making an impact every single time he was on the ice. And I believe playing over 22 minutes, being the second leading ice time getter for Abtomobilist. I think that's how you pronounce it, but it's not like this guy's fallen off a cliff, right? I mean, this right. guy's not like, he hasn't grown a ton. If you just look at the the numbers, but just from watching him play a lot of the times where he just didn't have confidence when he was trying to skate up the ice in his early years in the KHL. And um, the early years I'm talking about maybe two years ago or so when he went back from North America, back to the KHL, but this guy's improved in a lot of things on the ice and I'm just hoping that he's improved off the ice. Right. I right. feel like that was the problem with him last time that he was here in Vancouver was, he didn't wouldn't go to the AHL. He, you know, wouldn't. I guess it was it was tough for him to adjust to Vancouver, which I understand. But with Vasily Podkolzin coming in next year, I think the Canucks are going to have to make a real effort to try and make it a better place for these Russian guys that are coming in. Well, that's the question I was really going to ask you next: is is off the ice? What can we expect from Tramkin, and and where does he stand in a leadership point of view in, in actually playing in Russia? We've heard stories about his captaincy being stripped, and uh, you know, just not being a fit in the locker room in Russia as well. But you know, from the off uh, from off the ice, what can you what can you tell me as to what kind of a player or what kind of a person he's become since leaving Vancouver originally? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a family man now. He's got his wife over there in Russia, and I know that was a big struggle last time that he was here in Vancouver. 
off the ice, I mean, I, I'm not going to lie to you guys. It, it's hard for me to really know what's going on. I mean, I can't. Uh, I was actually denied earlier this year to get KHL media access, and <laughs> it might have been from all the free Goldie stuff. But anyways, like, it, I just it's hard to really understand what he's like off the ice. I, I know that there were some concerns about him just adjusting to Vancouver, not speaking the language so well. And it's similar, like the way that I just kind of see that these guys are trying to use English more is a lot of the times through their Instagram or through their social media and seeing what they're posting. And you'll see guys like the Silly Pod Poles and Dimitri Zlodia. These guys are really making an effort to make English a language that they're comfortable speaking. Nikita Triamkin, I mean, you look at his Instagram and everything that he's posting, and you know, I feel like a, a paparazzi right now, but like everything that they're posting on, on Triamkin's page is all in Russian. So uh, I'm wondering if he has made an effort to improve his English. If if he's gotten better at it, then it's definitely going to help if he does get over here. But yeah, off the ice, I'm not really sure exactly what he's like in the locker room, but he was the captain when, when Pavel Datsuk was injured earlier this year for that team. So, you know, maybe that means something that, you know, maybe it was Bill Peters made a decision, maybe it was his teammates, but he was a captain for that team for a good portion of this year when Datsuk was out. Chris Paver of Russian TMZ joining us on uh, Sportsnet 650. No, but Chris Faber doing a lot of uh, prospect coverage. And the big one for Canucks fans is Vasily Podkolzin. And we all know his KHL season is done. He's now getting set for the World Championships. Uh, what's the latest on him? And it obviously doesn't look like he will be here this season. But what what we what can we kind of expect going into next year? Many, I think we should expect a lot, honestly. I think if, if Niels Hoglander has like, proved us anything, it's that these young guys can jump right into what this Canucks lineup is and make an impact. I mean, heck, you're seeing it with waiver wire guys. I think it's a similar spot with a young player like the Silly Pod Colson. And yeah, he, he played against Belarus today. Russia kind of cleaned up against them. They got sort of a makeshift team, which is basically just his KHL team. I mean, it's got his head coach, Valerie Bregan, the coach of that team that they're calling a Team Russia. But really, it's just Scott and a handful of other players from around the KHL that are playing together. Pod Colson had a primary assist today. It was good. He, he went out there and skated on a fourth line once again. Um, I think that he is going to be on the world championship team this year because Igor Larionov is the head coach of that team instead of Valerie Bragg. And I think Larionov is actually going to use the silly Pod Colson quite a bit in the world championship. So I'm excited for him to get that action. I think it's going to be a very weird world championships i'm not sure how many guys from the nhl are really going to want to go attend that this year due Mm -hmm. to covid and everything surrounding it but this could be a huge learning experience for him just to get the chance to play against even if it is you know 10 to 12 nhl players on team canada or 10 to 12 nhl players on team usa really any of these any of these teams in the world championship the silly pod goals and matching up against them is something that you're ready to see because you just saw it in the playoffs and not only did he match up against some of the best players in the khl he really shined yeah, and one of the things, Chris, that we talked about with Trampkin is the fact that his off-season, sorry, his off-ice is maybe a little bit of an issue, uh, and the leadership perhaps as well. Although you mentioned that he was captain, so maybe not, maybe maybe not actually. However, uh, with Pod Colson, that doesn't really ever seem to come up. He's kind of that uh, that prototypical North American player, if you want to call him that. That he loves mm-hmm. his teammates. He's a great leader on the ice, and and, and his teammates really respect him. What can you tell us about his game when it comes to the leadership and how it'll translate for when he comes to North America? Yeah, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how he does when he comes over here. I mean, he's such a leader with the U18 and U20 teams that he's been on in the past. And I'm just so excited to see how he fits in. It's going to be really interesting because I feel like in his age group, he's always been leaned on as the captain, as the leader. Then he goes to the KHL and he plays for Scott and, and really 
he's one of the guys that's kind of thrown into the garbage from a fourth line for a lot of the season, right? I mean, we've covered how many minutes he's gotten all season long, but it's going to be great to see him come in and get another fresh start, right? I think that his first go at pro hockey in the KHL wasn't exactly what he was probably hoping for as a young guy who was drafted so high and had a lot of hype in the KHL. And you can just hear it on the broadcast, right? Like I, I don't understand anything these guys are saying when I'm watching a KHL game, but I'm just thinking like, man, they say pod Colson a lot. Like they mentioned him a lot. The camera's always on him between intermission and just between whistles and everything. And I just, I think that he's going to be, a leader and I think he wants to be a leader, but I'm going to be curious to actually see how he fits in with the leadership group here in Vancouver, because he's not going to walk in and be an assistant captain in two seasons, you know, but I think he's going to be a guy who's going to be one of those leaders on the ice, like kind of what we've seen Bill Horvat do ever since coming back from COVID here. Chris Faber, our guest from Canucks Conversation Podcast and our very own here at Sportsnet 650 as well, talking prospects. Uh, staying on the Vasily Podkolzin front, it seems like his t- tenure in the KHL isn't one that he's necessarily going to remember all that fondly, and it's kind of been a tough one uh, from all accounts. But through those tough times and through those trying times, what's the, the biggest thing that you think he's learned from his time in Russia? Uh, I think he's learned that he's not going to sign an extension in the KHL for sure. That's probably the biggest thing that he's learned. And I, I'm going to say that he is so excited to get over here to North America and, and have, like I said, a fresh start in the NHL with a coach that I think is going to play him in some pretty good spots. And I'm curious to see if he does end up starting in the top six next year, or if he just ends up playing in the bottom six and has to work his way up. But man, I, I don't really know if he learned a lot on the ice. Like I really felt like, a lot of games, it was tough for him to learn. Like, it's really tough to go out there, get six minutes of ice time one night, get 12 the next night, 18 the next night, and then the next night after that, be down to four. Like, it's it's really hard for me to understand what he might have learned. It felt like just watching him that his skating has improved from what we saw last year. Uh, his shot started to really take off in the playoffs, and actually the, kind of the run after the World Juniors. It just felt like that World Juniors gave him a little bit of a confidence boost to shoot the puck more. And you saw a lot of that uh, pretty much to kind of finish off the season and go into the playoffs. So I'm wondering if that's maybe what he learned. Like I do, maybe he learned that he needs to work on a shot a little bit more if he wants to get to the NHL and have success. And if that's the thing that he's going to be working on all off season, like this, this guy's going to come in and shock everyone in a very similar way that Neil Soglander did this year. Moving away from pod calls. And you also cover a lot of other prospects across Europe, Russia, and also in Utica. I wanted to see, is there one prospect that is maybe flying under the radar for Canucks fans that maybe won't make an impact in the NHL next season, but that you think will maybe make a considerable impact in the future? Yeah, considerable is a big word to use in this spot. I mean, like Jet Wu, the way that he plays down there, and today was a perfect example. There's a, there a, a pretty bad hit, uh, borderline dirty hit on his defense, defense partner, Tucker, uh, down there. And, like, he looked like he was playing in a rugby sevens match. The guy came, Jet Wu just came flying across the ice, tried to basically tackle this guy who laid the dirty hit. And I think that's something that I've really liked about his game. And I talked to him last week about this, about it, does it open up his game offensively if he's playing with an offensive guy? And this was on the heels of him playing with Jack Rathbone and scoring his first goal. And he was saying, yeah, like he likes to be the secondary offensive guy moving the puck. I mean, we all know that you see one defenseman kind of start each rush. He's going to be behind the net with the puck and he's going to make the first decision. That's not really Jet Wu's game. Jet Wu's game is to be the safety option and be the secondary defenseman who moves pucks out of the defensive zone. 
and he's going to bring physicality. I'm wondering how strong he can really get because right now at 20 years old, he already looks like a pretty tough guy in the AHL and he's not really backing down from anyone. So I, I like, I don't want to jump to this conclusion, but I think if Jet Wu continues to progress so well, like he's done in his first year in the AHL, he could be the ideal partner for Quinn Hughes down the road because he moves the puck well, he reacts well, he's always on defensive minded as the first thing on his mind. And I just think that with Quinn Hughes, it takes a lot of pressure off of Jet Wu to be the primary puck mover from the back end. And it just lets kind of just lets Quinn Hughes open up his game. So maybe a few years from now, we're talking about that pairing, but I don't want to really jump to conclusions too much yet. For sure. And sticking in Utica, one player that has been kind of doing pretty well, and I think a lot of people kind of kind of gave up on him maybe a bit too early, but Jonah Gajevich has 12 goals on the season. The next closest in Utica has five. What have you thought from him this season, and has he taken uh, a decent step in your eyes? Yeah, I think the the thing that everyone wanted to see was skating, the skating improved. That's what everybody asked all offseason going into this year. That's what everyone wanted to know. I, I don't think his skating improved a ton. I think it might have changed a little bit and kind of improved maybe a half step he's gained. But the thing that I've seen with Jonah Gadjevich this season is decision-making and reactions are just so much better than they were in the past. And I know he committed to an insane workout plan all offseason long. He had a lot of time to work out and get his body ready for it. And he's coming, he's coming to this year and basically just gone to the net, kept his stick on the ice and started banging away every time a puck hit a goalie. And, you know, he's got 12 goals on the year. You mentioned it. It's, it's been pretty impressive to watch. Like he, he told me maybe about a month ago now that he just felt like he was bigger and stronger than every single person in this league. And he was right. Like he, there's no one that pushes him around in front of the net. And that added reaction time that he's, that he's improved on in the off season has really helped because a lot of times last year he would just have a loose puck in the crease and be banging it off the goalie's pad. But now he's getting there just a split second earlier and finding a lot of open nets to get a, get these goals in. And it's been impressive. Like, it's been really impressive to watch him. The guy scores almost every AHL game that I watch. It's, it's a lot of fun to see Jonah Gadovich have that success. What's your take on Cole Lind? Um, you know, he's he, he migrated to, to center ice, and Vancouver obviously has a gaping hole long-term at center ice uh, on that third line at least. What do you what do you like from his game? Uh, I know obviously he hasn't been playing a whole lot lately because uh, of the fact the the taxi squad, but is that a player that you can say that is, is going to be a fit in center ice long-term, or do you see him still as more of a winger? Yeah, I, I do see him as more of a winger, and I think that the move to center in the AHL this season is actually going to help him a lot as a winger playing defense because now he really understands that, you know, how a center has to operate defensively and also moving the puck out of their own defensive zone when they're transitioning to an offensive zone. I think that Cole Lynn has learned part of that game from being a center, but I, I'm going to say that he's going to be a winger moving forward. I mean, it's a lot of fun to talk about Cole Lind as a center. Uh, you know, the fact that he takes face off left-handed is pretty great, even though he's a right-handed shot. Uh, that's a lot of fun to deal with. He said he would do it against McDavid or, or Matthews, whoever was up against. He's still going to take face off at the opposite end, which is crazy and fun to watch. But I think he's a winger through and through. And I think, to me, when you saw Antoine Roussel go down and Mark Michaelis coming to the lineup, I was, I was shocked. I, I cannot believe that, that Cole Lind has been up there in Vancouver for over a month now. He's been healthy this whole time. He's ready to go. And he's not being given a shot when Mark Michaelis is being thrown out on the ice to have five minutes of ice time in the most recent game. It makes no sense to me why they aren't seeing what they have in Cole Lind. I think that 
he might go out there and he might not be living up to everyone's expectations, but there's also a chance that he goes out there and looks really good. And I think that you want to lean on that side with a prospect who's gone through a good amount of time of development through your AHL team. He does 100% deserves a shot right now. And if you're going to keep throwing out Mark Michaelis for five minutes, Tyler Gray back for under five minutes, it just makes no sense to me why Cole Lynn wouldn't get a shot right now. And I think he should be in the lineup as soon as Saturday, to be 100% honest. Why isn't anybody playing Cole Lind? Am I right? <laughs> I even, like, I made a gif of that the other day. Oh. And I was like, I'll just keep that in the draft, but I might have to throw it out now since Raja. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, Chris Paper, our guest. Thanks so much for joining us, Chris. Really appreciate your insight. Yeah, absolutely, boys. It was good to take a break from uh, MLB The Show for a couple minutes. My eyes were <laughs> a little crazy there. <laughs> well, have you played Warzone, the new, the new update? It's a new map and everything. Oh, uh, man, I don't know. I Ever since the show came out, like, my boys, like, you know, I, I can't go back to the island and see some of my best friends, but, you know, I can play I can play a bunch of the show with them. And Warzone, like, we didn't get a win for, like, a month. No. You know, we, had to take, we had to take a little bit of time off, and yeah. the show just came in at the right time. So, yeah. right place, right time, playing a lot of the show. Yep. Uh, it's a brand-new map uh, in uh, Warzone, so check it out. It's actually pretty much the same. It's just going back in time. It's not, it's, it's <laughs> not, yeah. The colors. Yeah, the colors are a little bit brighter. That's all I heard. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty much 1984, so you go back a few years. Uh, that's about it. Hey, it doesn't matter, Rajo. You and I aren't getting wins on it anyway. <laughs> exactly. Chris Paper, <laughs> thanks so much for joining us, man. Awesome. Have a good one, guys. Thank you. That is Chris Faber from Canucks Conversation Podcast and very our very own here at Sportsnet 650 as well. Lots more coming up here on Sportsnet tonight, including listening back to an interview that occurred earlier today. Thomas Drantz from The Athletic was on these very airwaves on The People Show. We will hear from him and what he thinks of the Canucks ever since their return from their COVID-19 hiatus. We'll listen to Thomas Drantz coming up. It is Sportsnet tonight on the official of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Wrapping up the week in sports. This is Sportsnet Tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott-Wolf. Final segment of the show, Raja Shergill, Josh Elliott-Wolf, Sportsnet. Tonight on the official home of the Vancouver Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Hope you guys are enjoying your Friday. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time today. We'll reset the poll question at the end of the show. But I do want to showcase this interview that happened earlier today on the People's Show with Satyar Shah, Dan Riccio, and Randy Jeda from The Athletics. He is Thomas Drance, joined the boys and discussed the Vancouver Canucks ever since coming back from their hiatus, including talking about their game last night between the Ottawa Senators. I mean, I didn't think the Canucks played poorly. And, and one thing that I think is really important to note, too, is at the very least, what you'd say about the game against Ottawa on Thursday night was that the Canucks came to play. They played hard. They actually were the better team five on five by a decent margin. Uh, Mm -hmm. They at least managed considering everything they've gone through, like a baseline level of competitiveness, which for me, you know, that's a bar for which they should be applauded considering, you know, the 10 days off, if you were asymptomatic, a significantly larger challenge, if you weren't, uh, the scale of the outbreak, the fact that they've all got family concerns and people who are still sick in their families, uh, you know, the fact that it was an assistant coach's first game back, it was their starting goaltender's first start. You know, they've still got a teammate in Tyler Mott who practiced 
today, but hasn't returned for COVID-related reasons yet. Uh, with all of that context considered, you know, I, I just I don't feel comfortable almost looking at the wins on Sunday and Tuesday over Toronto and being like, those were gutsy and heroic. But man, that Thursday game against Ottawa, they needed more. It's like, no, they, everything this team does, so long as they have that type of jump in energy for me, deserves the same level of praise. Um, and that is that, you know, clearly this is a resilient group and, um, you know, they've really shown that, I think, over the course of the week, results aside. Well, it's clear, Drancer, that it, there's something they're tapping into right now in terms of rallying around something. And and honestly, I thought your question today to Travis asking about younger players, I don't know if Travis took it the right way, the way you meant it, and, and maybe you can clarify it if you want. You don't think so. Me, <laughs> you no, don't think I, I took it the right way. <laughs> no, because I, I, I thought your point was, hey, do you think about mixing in young guys and stuff like that to keep everybody's energy levels up? I think that's a legitimate question to ask. He took mm -hmm. it as like, no, we're trying to make the playoffs. All I care about is winning and all that sort of stuff. But totally. I think that spoke to the us against the world mentality they're building there, that they're not entertaining any thoughts about big picture. It's all about, we're trying to win every single game right now. And they're all buying into it. Yeah, for sure. I, I think you're right. I think the implication Travis took from it was, I was suggesting that young guys should be played because, you know, they're out of it. Um, and that wasn't what I was suggesting. I, I was suggesting that, you know, sort of building on the answer that he gave me on Thursday, right. Which was the, the idea that you would, mix in mix in different guys that you would sort of change up your lineup a little bit more proactively at the moment than usual to keep people's energy level up but also a unique challenge in the season is you've got this extra taxi squad uh these ex extra taxi squad bodies and the connects have a lot of extra bodies sort of around right now with the roster limit lifted you know there's a ton of guys on this roster a ton of guys who are sort of in vancouver just haven't played yet Guys like Lind, guys like Rathbone, who should be available shortly, although he didn't practice today. And, you know, I, I was sort of curious as to how that dynamic interacts with, you know, the, the dynamics that he's discussed about sort of managing a roster a little bit differently down the stretch here, which I think is a fascinating challenge, particularly for, you know, a coaching staff that was hit by this themselves. And, you know, I, I think it, it would make sense to me just empathizing with, that type of decision maker that it would be front of mind like a front of mind concern considering you lived through it yourself Green or, or one of the assistants who did test positive so you know that that was sort of what i was exploring and i think green took it as an opportunity to you know suggest or or at the very least reject the premise of my question and suggest that i was uh, insisting that the club is out of it which really wasn't what i was getting at i was just sort of trying to examine the overall um, you know, situation. And, and there's a ton of unique things about it. And, and also, gentlemen, the fact is, is every time I send a, a line rushes tweet from a morning skate or a practice, like I have these like Lind people, you know, like they're the Lind people. They show up in my ass. Like, what about Lind? Where's Cole? Where, where, what about Lind? I, I get like six of those every time I tweet a lineup. So at some point, I feel like it's necessary to ask that's been something that's on the fans' minds, and that was the other motivation behind what I thought was a fair question. Um, Green swatted away, and, and you know that's that happens. Like I don't know how many availabilities everybody watches, but Travis rejects the mm -hmm. premises of my questions on a weekly basis. Um, there's no personal enmity there because of it. Uh, you know, it's not. I'm not likely to get a one-word answer the next time I ask. He's just as likely to laugh at my question or you know, we'll laugh at something as he is to reject it, but both happen pretty regularly. And that's what happens when you ask the same guy 250 to 300 questions a year. 
um, you're going to have some moments like that. Thomas Drance, uh, regular contributor here on Sportsnet 650, find his work at The Athletic Vancouver as well. Like For, for a guy like Lind, I, I mean, you know, we have this conversation about the bottom six right now. They're all kind of auditioning. I, I would imagine mm-hmm. uh, you know, Lind gets his shot in that space too with the you know, Highmores and the VCs and, and Boyds and, and the like. But, but with Rathbone... I mean, with Edler coming back and Schmidt back, Myers, Hughes, Hamannick, uh, who who would Rathbone even take out of the lineup to get a look here? Yeah, I think you're right. In, in Rathbone's case, you'd have to imagine that it would take, you know, whether it's an ailment or a guy needing some time, right? Just just to just to rest up, just to take a breather, maybe on a back to back, something something with Edler, right? But but yeah, I think you're right. Edler, sorry, Rathbone's path into the lineup is a lot more difficult to figure out. But I, I also think the leverage of getting him some games and ideally getting him some games before you're in that, you know, last three or four games of the season mathematically eliminated should the Canucks get to that point. Um, you know, they still have a one in 10 shot roughly uh, of making the playoffs at this juncture. Uh, but should they get to that point, you know, for me, getting a guy like Rathbone into some games before that, I mean, I think that could pay huge dividends for the club next season when, you know, if you can have an entry-level contributor who's in your top six, like on your third pair on that left side, um, you know, and, and he's, <laughs> I mean, that the, the leverage of that is huge. And, and finding out and making sure that that player gets, you know, blooded, to use a soccer term, gets, gets some NHL experience in empty buildings in slightly lower leverage before throwing him into the deep end in, in a season where you're really pushing to make the playoffs. And maybe there are fans in the building and it's sort of earlier and the stakes feel higher. I mean, that to me just seems to make sense. Um, but you're right. I, I do think that's a tougher hill to climb than the one that would get Lind potentially a look uh, is. You got a couple of young guys there on the left-hand side that you just mentioned, uh, but it does beg the question, Alex Edler, what happens next? If they are in that two-year window of getting back into the conversation at some point to be a contender, like Jim Benning mentioned last month, what do you do with him? Is it simply a just a end of year? You look at the situation and say year by year, and uh, you know, do, or do you basically throw the guys, the young guys, in the deep end? What do you think happens here at the end of the year in regard to Edler? Yeah, that's a fascinating question. You know. I do think that I do think that Edler has, through his years of service to this franchise, sort of earned the right to call a shot. You know, so long as so long as the price point is reasonable from a Canucks perspective, and they have a lot to still accomplish this offseason, and the flat cap's going to make that very difficult, especially with Pedersen and Hughes likely to, you know, if not 10x, close to 10x their uh, overall comp uh, before next season. You know, I, I do think though that you got to at least save a spot for him and, and make him your best offer. I don't think you necessarily walk away from the guy, um, you know, as, as they did with guys like Holland and Sallow, um, just because it's time to move on. But I also think there's no way that this club can come back and be counting on Edler to play the type of role that he has consistently, right? Like th- this is a player that they've used a ton. Uh, he's played huge minutes for this club over the past two years. And, you know, they need to make sure that if they're going to be playing Edler, that he's playing a third pair role and not, not because that's what the club needs, but because that's what Edler needs to be maximum, you know, at his best, especially if you're going to get into the playoffs and keep him fresh. Like we've now seen this 
in multiple seasons. Edler in the first 20, 25, 30 games of the season versus Edler the rest of the way um, is, is a bit of a different player. And, and, I mean, what else do you expect from a guy, you know, entering his mid-30s uh, when you're playing him 25 minutes a night when, you know, he has these regular two-minute shifts on the penalty kill and, and on and on? Um, you know, if he comes back, there needs to be a pretty prescribed sort of load management regimen uh, for him, in my view. Uh, but that said, I, I do think with a player like that who's accomplished what he has, uh, you know, I, I do think you own the respect of sort of calling his own shot so long as it works within some basic budget parameters uh, vis-a-vis your cap situation. Thomas Strance is our guest, The Athletic and The Van Cast, alongside Jeff Patterson here on The People Show on mm. Sports and 650. Now, you. Uh, well, you got to get those plugs in. You know I how it goes. Now, <laughs> <laughs> now Drancer, when it comes to the forward group, and, and I think this is a really fascinating conversation around the bottom six, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, we were, we're, we're all talking about, hey, get cheap options, bring guys in. And, yeah, you know, VC is what he is. Howard Luck is kind of what he is. But I do find it kind of interesting how quickly guys like Boyd and Highmore are kind of being dismissed as just a bunch of nobodies. And yeah, potentially they might be. But I'm kind of curious to see how these guys play the rest of the season. They, they do both have some translatable skills. I'm not sure if they can put it all together to actually be fits or whatever. But like there is enough there that I, I think it's worth exploring what happens the rest of the season with those two guys in particular. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I have time for uh, Jace as well, personally. Like, I, think Jace is a, I think Jace has been one of the better sort of bottom six players that they've had since he returned to the lineup from that early season injury. I, I think he's played really well. Uh, you know, I, I have a lot of time for Boyd personally. I think Boyd's played well. I think I like the energy there. Uh, the, the thing that, you know, and look, he, he's a fill-in replacement or like a fill-in option on the power play. But I, I do think if you're looking at Boyd as like a fixture on PP2, uh, you know, that's not exactly what, where I want to be <laughs> in terms of, um, you know, putting myself in decision makers shoes uh, that said, you know, Boyd would be an upgrade for them for me as a bottom six centerman. I, I don't think he's like the answer at third line center, the one that we keep talking about the club needing to identify or bring in, but you know, I, I, I've liked his game. I, I think he's played well in a brief run with the Canucks. I think he's played really well with the Maple Leafs. And I think he's got a lot of attributes, specifically his ability to, play away from the puck to weather, you know, shots against without necessarily getting outscored by as large a margin as what you'll see on the shot clock. Uh, that tends to make a fair bit of sense for how this Canucks teams tended to need to play. Um, but, you know, with Highmore, with Boyd, I mean, I like them at the right price point and, and Highmore signed for next season at seven two five, And that is the right price point, right? Like that's an interesting player. I just, you know, I, I don't see a ton that makes me think top nine right, or a third liner. But, you know, you, you do need some depth in terms of bottom six guys. I, I think more than anything, when I look at the lineup yesterday, right, and when I look at what happened to it once they loaded up that top line with Besser, Miller, and Horvat, you just sort of – I don't know that there's a ton of guys um, – beneath them maybe aside from Niels Hoaglander that you look at as being guys that are really gonna find a new level or that you can even bet on finding a new level uh, and when you contrast that with some of the guys like I think about an Alex Formanton right like Formanton was a relatively high draft pick he's got that hockey Canada pedigree but you know he may just top out as a middle six forward but there's 
still something there in terms of upside. Um, the Canucks just don't have a, a, any. Like, I can't think of any guys like that in the organization that are that close to contributing to an NHL lineup and who might have that type of upside, who already have that type of energy and speed. Like, those are the sort of – that's the layer – in the organization that when you sort of look up and down that lineup, it's, you know, it, it's cast offs, it's league minimum guys. It's, you know, guys that may, might be an interesting fit for the fourth line, but that I don't think you ideally want to see play higher, at least not on a consistent basis. And so, you know, that, that I think is where, you know, some of the criticism that was in my app mentions anyway, yesterday and, and I've seen online sort of kicks in and, um, you know, I, I can see that. Like, I do think that ultimately and fleshing out your bottom six, like what's your ideal fourth liner, your ideal fourth liner is a guy who can jump up to the third line without it missing a beat. Right. What's your ideal third liner, a guy who can play in your top six for 10 games without hurting you. Uh, the previous guest you had on this program, Yannick Hansen, a perfect example of that. Um, you know, I don't know that with Highmore, with Boyd, with sort of the class of player that we're discussing um, that you're sort of getting into that type of, um, definition in terms of their potential quality or their quality at the moment. And, and I do think that's a concern, particularly as fleshing out that depth is sort of the primary challenge facing this club, not just this off season, but for many off seasons to come as they look to surround this core with a workable group. That is Thomas Drance from the athletic earlier today on Sportsnet 650 and the people's show with Dan Riccio, Satya Shah, and Randy Pjanda talking about the Vancouver Canucks, their depth, and how they've been playing since their return from their COVID-19 hiatus. Another thing that he mentioned there, Josh, is just that depth that we talked about. A lot of issues, or a lot of holes, I should say, I guess, on this team that they don't look to fill, and obviously this is a team that doesn't really want to be taking steps backwards, if you will, in their progression. They want to be adding... That being said, it's going to be a little bit tough given the, the cap situation and, and everything, even the real-life money when it comes to COVID-19. And, and then you put in the Seattle expansion draft on top of that. just adds a whole another layer to this. Yeah. So simultaneously, this offseason is going to be very important, but also I don't think there's going to be a lot of changes made. And that's just kind of the nature of... Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's the nature of flat cap and the, and the things you mentioned. It's going to be hard to to figure things out and that's kind of like you could put the blame on Jim Benning for that but also they they've made their bed now they have to lay in it and they're going to have to be really creative this off season and I don't know if they have that creativity in them 100% yet. Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott, Wolf, Sportsnet tonight. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time today. If you missed part of the show, please head on over to sportsnet.ca slash 650. The entire show will be on the website available for you. The talk of the show today, discussing who has been the most underrated player this season for the Vancouver Canucks. The options we gave to you on Twitter were Nate Schmidt, Tyler Myers, Brandon Sutter, and other. And the winner of this poll for most underrated player goes to the man that, Josh, you voted for, Nate Schmidt. Tyler Did get Mo- pretty close, though. Yes, Tyler Myers finishes second. Nate Schmidt, by the way, 38%. Tyler Myers, 31 Brandon Sutter, only 13%. Other got 16 Not a whole lot of people wrote in, uh, but what we did get from the write-in vote uh, was Travis Hamanick, Leo Levy, as guys that uh, were also 
in that most underrated player category and I can understand that but again for me it has to be Tyler Myers I just don't think he's given the respect he deserves and I think that comes mostly down to the fact that he makes too much money which should not factor into your decision but unfortunately it does for a lot of people definitely and I I think a lot of the other vote as well is probably people thinking Tyler Mod or somebody and we explained why they're not necessarily or mm-hmm. he, he specifically is not necessarily underrated but I can see the reasoning behind Travis Habanick. I think he's had a pretty quiet season, sort of how how it was with Chris Tanev when he was in Vancouver, where he would do a lot of things that go unnoticed, but after a while, you start to appreciate it. Uh, obviously not the same level as Tanev, but enough that he's gone underappreciated. And Olia Levy as well, but again, we talked about it earlier. The ice time is kind of the, the limiting factor there. Thanks so much for listening to the show today. We were on from 7 p.m. to 10. As mentioned, if you missed any of it, head on over to sportsnet.ca slash 650. Thank you to all three of our great guests, Harnrein Singh, Bik Nazar, and, of course, Chris Faber, chiming in on that Nikita Trampkin conversation as well. We will chat with you next time here on Sportsnet Tonight. Roger Shergill. Josh Elliott Wolf. Hope you guys enjoy your weekend. You're listening to the official home of the Vancouver Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome home, where it's all about right place, right time. He settles it out, throws it to the post, stopped by Beagle, and they score! It's Brock Fisher at the side This is Brock's house on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Oh no, I chipped my diamond. Spence will replace it. Oh no, I cracked my diamond. Spence will replace it. Oh no, I lost my diamond. Spence Diamonds will replace it. Every time. If you lose, chip, or crack your Spence Diamond from its original setting, we'll replace it at no extra charge. Okay, when's the fast-talking lawyer coming in? No fast-talking lawyer. As long as you bring in your ring for annual inspections, we've got you covered. Guaranteed for a lifetime. That's a long time. Lifetimes usually are. Spence Diamonds. Find us in Vancouver and Langley. See in store for full details. Sat Gives Props, presented by BCLC. It's Satyar Shah, and we're talking about BCLC and their long involvement in the growth of BC. Established in 1985, BCLC has been there for some of the province's truly defining moments, from Expo 86 to the Vancouver 2010 Olympic and Paralympic Winter Games. For over 35 years, BCLC has been committed to developing fun, fair games that help to support events, teams, and athletes in BC. BCLC. With every play, you're making BC even better. As humans strive to expand their horizons, Audi is designed to bring them there. Features like Quattro all-wheel drive are suited to those with an adventurous spirit. Get into an Audi at the Spring into Audi event. Get offers like lease and finance rates starting as low as 1.98% and up to $2,000 in Audi credits on select models. Learn about our 2% loyalty rate reduction by visiting your local Vancouver Audi dealer today. Offers end April 30th, 2021. Since March, British Columbians have been booking their COVID-19 vaccinations. And TELUS team members, like Haley, are proud to help take their calls. I spoke to a 99-year-old woman, and she said that this would be the first time she's left her house in over a year. And it really struck me how much of a difference this is actually making in people's lives. To our healthcare and essential service workers, thank you. TELUS will continue to partner with the B.C. government to support this important immunization program. Together, let's make the future friendly. Man, if I was in a RAV4 right now, I'd load up my gear and head out for an adventure. Nothing would stand in my way. 
second window, please? Red Tag Days are back. Stop dreaming about a new Toyota and start driving one. Lease a 2021 Toyota RAV4 LE front-wheel drive from $75 weekly for 60 months with $3,000 down. Or upgrade to a hybrid for $90 weekly. Visit shoptoyota.ca or shop safely at your Pacific Toyota dealer. Since 1945, Toyo Tires has been making quality products for any type of vehicle, for any terrain. It doesn't matter where you want to go or what you want to do. There's a Toyo adventure for those who dare to dream. So it's time to start driving. Looks like those tires are well tested. For a limited time, save up to $70 on select sets of four. For your drive, dare to dream, Toyo Tires. This spring, take to the open road in the redesigned 2021 Jaguar F-Pace. With the latest generation of infotainment and the choice of mild hybrid technology, the new Jaguar F-Pace is more luxurious, connected, and efficient. For a limited time, lease the 2021 F-Pace from $288 bi-weekly for 42 months with $5,999 down at 2.9%. Book your safe contactless appointment today at your local Jaguar authorized retailer. Offers end April 30th. If you're looking for unmatched design and quality, Andrew Sherritt Limited is proud to offer American Standard products. Save time and money on installation with the superior innovation of American Standard's Flash Shower Rough-In Valves, allowing you to install, test, and flush lines with ease. With 31 locations across Western Canada, purchase heating, plumbing, HVAC, and irrigation supplies online at Sherritt.com. Andrew Sherritt Limited, a family and employee-owned company. Streams of Truth, brought to you by Sportsnet Now. Sports fans just want one thing. Skate your child's tablet and stream the game with Sportsnet Now. You deserve to find peace. And you can do so by streaming sports on a tablet protected by a pink butterfly case smeared with applesauce. Live stream sports with Sportsnet Now. Actually, that might be apricot. Starting at $9.99, visit snnow.ca for details. Need indoor storage for your RV, boat, cars, or business? My Garage Hope is now selling and leasing units at their brand new state-of-the-art facility, conveniently located just before all major highway junctions. Heated 19 by 55 foot units, 24-7 video surveillance, RV dump and fill stations, plus a 65 foot wash bay with catwalks to keep those toys clean. Why rent storage space when you can own an appreciating storage asset? MyGarageHope.com who crushed it? Who didn't? Breaking down the action after every game. The Kintet Footwear and Orthotics postgame show on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. I'm Marcus Fitzgerald with this Sportsnet Central update. The Vancouver Canucks continue to try to chase the final playoff spot in the North Division. They are still 10 points out of fourth place in the North after Friday night's action. We'll get to that. In just a moment, Jace Howerluck met the media on Friday after a somewhat limited practice for Vancouver. A few guys did get some work in on the ice, and Howerluck talked about the ability to go out there and work no matter what is going on with the club these days. Things are earned, so we understand that we're going to go out there and we're going to leave it all out there. Um, you know, guys are going to you know give it 110%, and, and I know uh, that's my mindset every single game, uh, no matter you know what the circumstance was you know prior. Um, you know, we're going out there and we're coming at you, we're trying to win the game. You know, no way fans or butts. So uh, that's our mindset um, every single night. And, uh, you know, until we're out of it, you know, never say never. 
7 o'clock puck drop Saturday night right here on Sportsnet 650. We'll have pre and post.